the bill so that you can uh, find out what is in it. What? If you like your doctor, you will be able to keep your doctor. What difference at this point does it make? If you're looking to make sense out of what's going on in the world today, then you've come to the right place. Welcome to Southern Sense Talk Radio with your host, Annie, the Radio Chicky Bellis, and featuring Curtis C.S. Bennett and the most interesting guest that you'll find anywhere on Internet radio. And you can join the show and let your voice be heard by dialing 917-889-3675. So sit back, relax, and remember, Southern Sense is Common Sense. emergency strikes, what's your first impulse? If your answer is run to the grocery store, you're likely to find chaos and plenty of empty shelves. So how do you avoid this? Well, it's simple. You use today to make a plan to prepare for things that may happen. It's a hurricane, earthquake, blizzard, or even social unrest, especially in today's political environment. The practical place to start is by storing up food in your home. And I use my Patriot Supply for my food storage. If you don't have an emergency food supply, it's time to do so. Here's a great item that makes it really simple. A two-week food kit that comes in a rugged tote. And it's only $75 when you go to my special website, preparewithsouthernsense.com, or call 888-441-7290. This food kit includes breakfast, lunch, and dinners that will last up to 25 years on your storage shelves. So order now and prepare yourself, and then rest easy. So it's very simple. Just call 888-441-7290. Or go to preparewithsouthernsense.com. You know what? Let's make it even more simple than that. You're listening to my show, and it's called Southern Sense. And you know you put a dash in the middle, southern-sense.com, 
and click on the icon for My Patriot Food. Well, if you want to insist, you can still go to 888-441-7290 or go to my website, Southern Sense, put a dash in the middle, southern-sense.com. Be prepared. All right. Clean out the colors of you. I like to know why I keep on getting that thing into the promo. I can't figure that one out yet. So, of course, as usual, I can never start a show without messing up gloriously. Uh, welcome back to another adventure here on uh, Southern Sense. You're listening live on Blog Talk Radio, SHR Media, the Lone Star Daily News, up on iTunes, Stitcher, Spreaky, YouTube, Facebook. Uh, actually, Facebook Live at this moment. So if you go to Southern Sense on Facebook, you can catch us and see my <laughs> smiling face and courtesies. I'm your hostess with the most just the radio chickadee, Annie, along with my confused co-host, Curtis C.S. Bennett. Good afternoon, Curtis. Curtis, unmute yourself. Oh, <laughs> I'm not the only one screwing up. I got you unmuted, Curtis. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I have one of those. I have one of those. Hey, Houston, we got a problem, you know, trying to log in this morning. <laughs> This afternoon, so we got it taken. Um, oh man, we'll we'll get our act we'll together. Get- you know, we got ourselves an exciting show here today. We've got great guests lined up. Uh, we're going to start off Bruce Lavelle, uh, who is a longtime President Trump advisor. Uh, he's also the na- the executive director for the National Diversity Co- Coalition for Trump. Say that three times fast. Uh, <laughs> he'll be coming back on the show to start and cry. talk to us. Uh, man. And then we've got a gentleman from the Heritage Foundation. His name is Hans von Spakovsky. Uh, he's an authority on a wide range of issues, including civil rights, civil justice, the First Amendment, immigration. And considering uh, some of these overreaches of some uh, local and uh, state governments on our civil rights during this COVID pandemic, uh, I want to get his take on some of the stuff, especially what's going on in Texas. I think some of these judges and some of these police departments down there have lost their minds. Uh, and then we're going to finish up the last hour of the show with uh, Mitchell goes by Lionheart uh, Gerber. He is an expert. He he was in college. He was in, uh, I believe it was the University of Georgia out of Atlanta. Uh, when he started hearing stories about organ harvesting, especially of those who are members of the Fulong Gang uh, out of China. And um, I had him on the show, I think it was two years ago, Curtis, um, and we started the discussion. He has had death threats made against him. Um, he has a lot to talk to us about uh, what is going on with the uh, har- uh, organ harvesting. Uh, some of the stories are just absolutely horrific. And it's not just a few people, it's Thousands, thousands of people have been detained by the Chinese Communist Party without trial, placed in um, prisons, uh, slave labor camps, um, institutions, and when their number is up, uh, their organs are harvested while they are still alive. I mean, that's I there's so it. much. And we've got so much that's going on that's coming out of China. Um, I think... This COVID pandemic has actually ripped the mask off of the Chinese Communist Party. And uh, to have doctors 
and other members of society complacent in this genocide. There's no other way to explain it or describe it. It is an outright genocide of a magnitude that is believable. So I want to welcome everyone that is listening in over on Facebook. Hi to everyone on Facebook. Um, I'm hoping that we finally got ourselves up on YouTube. I don't know what has been going on with that. And no, it's not. Believe it or not, I don't know what changed. Something changed, and it's not going up on YouTube. What about iHeart? All right. Uh, Yes, yes, we are now carried on iHeartRadio. So if you've mislistened to us live and you've got the app on your smart device, you just do a little quick search on iHeart and you'll find Southern Sense Talk is up there. My smiling face is on there. And you can listen to us on iHeartRadio now. Thank you for reminding me. Wow. I want to add on that those that listen to the show know that we start off each show with a dedication to a fallen hero. And because of this uh, situation with the Wuhan virus, you can call it Wuhan virus, coronavirus, the COVID virus, uh, Corona SARS-15, or whatever else they're calling it at this moment, um, this pandemic that was unleashed upon us by the Chinese Communist Party. Uh, Last week, we did the dedication to law enforcement that has fallen in the line of duty because of the COVID virus. Uh, Today, we're going to do the dedication to all of the brave men and women in the medical field, all the medical personnel who have died due to their dedication to service in the battle against the COVID-19 virus. And uh, as of yesterday, more than 90,000, that's not 9,000, 90,000 healthcare workers worldwide have been infected with the coronavirus And at least 260 nurses that we know of have died, according to the International Council of Nurses. Uh, The number of cases is significantly higher than reported by the World Health Organization. And you wonder why the World Health Organization is keeping their numbers low since they're in bed with the Chinese Communist Party. And uh, these men and women, they don't have to show up for work, but they do. And we have to say a great thank you to them. And uh, something has come out of um, a hospital in California. And I put it aside. Actually, I sent a copy of that thing to uh, my sister. Um, There is a doctor in California who has been treating these COVID patients. And he came across something. He found that when these people start to go into respiratory failure, Rather than putting them on immediately onto um, ventilators, he found that something was very similar in all the cases, is that they all had massive areas of inflammation and blood clotting. And he decided to to treat those things rather than the inflammation because he observed that when you go and put a person on a ventilator, that is an invasive procedure. You're actually irritating further the lining of your lungs. So he said rather than causing additional inflammation by irritating people's lungs, he chose different methods of treatment for treating the blood clotting, uh, for treating the inflammation, and he noticed that the number of people that he, he was losing went from double digits down to sig- single digits. He had an amazing rate of recovery. 
So these men and women out there that are fighting this Wuhan virus are taking and thinking outside the box here in the United States. And I think we're going to have more and more doctors like this individual that are going to think outside the box saying, listen, the ventilators aren't working. Let's do other treatments. And this is what the results I've had. So see if you can replicate them in your medical facilities. And I think we may end up licking this thing. So, you know, again, today's show is dedicated to all of these brave men and women in the medical field who are on the front line in the battle against this COVID-19, Wuhan, uh, Corona, uh, Corona SARS, whatever you want to call it, this pandemic virus. And to them, we're going to send out to them, my name is America, because only in America have we had these innovations and these successes. So here is Todd Allen Herndon with My Name is America. May God bless and protect each and every one of them in service, and may they rest their souls of those who have passed in the line of duty.
South America. You can find his song at ToddAllenShow.com. Check him out. I keep on meaning to call him and get him back on the show, Curtis. And one of these days, I'm going to remember to do that. <laughs> anyway, yeah, welcome back. Yep, listening here to a Southern Sense here on Blog Talk Radio, SHR Media, The Lone Star Daily News, iTunes, Stitcher, Spreaker, YouTube, Facebook, uh, Facebook Live right now. <laughs> I want to welcome everyone aboard. Um, and I uh, just want to give you guys a little bit of an update. Um, this week, Yanni went for his cancer treatment uh, where they injected uh, these little nuclear spheres called therospheres into his liver so he's radioactive right now so i guess my mom and i have to stay three feet away from him for the next couple of days <laughs> you turn off the light and watch him glow in the dark <laughs> wow that sounds like uh, social distancing <laughs> inside the home oh uh, yeah yeah a little social distancing in the home uh so uh he, right now he's handling everything very very well uh so Knock on wood, and hopefully this will uh, go after the tumor there and uh, reduce it or kill it, get rid of it, whatever. And I am actually battling a cat on my lap. (laughs) um, Mom's been going through her physical therapy. She's got a new um, orthonic device for her leg, which helps her walk a little bit better on the walker. Uh, She's still not doing any marathons or laps around the house, I think, they get. But she's slowly and surely starting Uh, to get more and more strength back. But uh, it, it is exhausting. It, if you ever are a full-time caregiver, you understand what I'm saying, that it does take a lot out of you. So if I look a little dragged, like the cat just drugged me in somewhere, yeah, I think all five took their turns dragging me around. <laughs> wow. <laughs> anyway, but that is what is going on with us right now, uh, just to let everyone know a little bit of an update there. But uh, And this too shall pass. This too shall pass. There's so much to talk about. Um, that I want to wait for our guests, but you know, I don't even know where to start, Curtis. Well, um, let's let's start with uh, Mother's Day that's coming up. It's a good thing you have oh, your mother yeah. there, so you can um, you know celebrate Mother's Day with her. Not sure what you're going to take this... her out to eat, you know, but maybe drive through. <laughs> you know the problem. The problem is, is I'm such a good cook that uh, she doesn't. She, when she's ready to leave, she won't want to leave. <laughs> I'm gonna make her a little porter. <laughs> I'll just roll her down the the handicap ramp, you know. <laughs> Come on, mom, I'm just gonna roll you like a big bull. I'll do the the ramp before. No, none of that. <laughs> I already dropped her once. Don't want to drop her again. Yeah. Anyway. Anyway, um, Pam Geller sent me something that I thought was really absolutely fantastic. Um, she has filed a lawsuit. This was uh, today's the eighth. It was this was yesterday. She did this. She sent this out. Filed a complaint against New York City Mayor De Blasio for violating um, fundamental liberties that citizens of the United States enjoy, free from government interference. This is what she sent out. It's. The case seeks to protect and vindicate these liberties. These liberties are not conferred or granted by government to be then rescinded at the will and whims of government officials. These God-given liberties are possessed by the people, and they are guaranteed against government interference by the United States Constitution, which is the supreme law of the land. First among these liberties is the right to peacefully protest government officials through the freedom of speech and the right to peaceably assemble guaranteed by the First Amendment. 
The right to freedom of speech is not a right to caucuses. It is a right to meaningfully protest and assemble in public in order to change public policy. The most effective way to exercise this right is to organize and participate in large public protests. Defendants, through the adoption and enforcement of executive edicts, have suspended this fundamental right in the city of New York. John Adams warned that liberty once lost is lost forever. All tyranny needs to gain a foothold is for people of good conscience to remain silent. Through this complaint, Plaintiff Geller challenges defendants' suspension of the First Amendment. There is no justification, pandemic or otherwise, for a government official to revoke this fundamental right of the people. Accordingly, this case seeks to protect and vindicate fundamental constitutional rights. It is civil rights action brought under the First and Fourteenth Amendments to the United States Constitution and 42 U.S.C. 1983, challenging defendants' restrictions on plaintiffs' right to engage in peaceful protest and protected speech in public forums in the city of New York, here and after First Amendment restriction. Plaintiff seeks a declaration that defendants violated her clearly established constitutional rights as set forth in this complaint, a declaration that the defendant's First Amendment restriction violates the United States Constitution and 42 U.S.C. 1983 as set forth in this complaint, a preliminary and permanent injunction enjoining the enforcement of the defendant's First Amendment restrictions is set forth in this complaint, and nominal damages for the past loss of plaintiff's constitutional rights. Plaintiff also seeks an award of reasonable costs of litigation, including attorney fees and expenses, pursuant to 42 U.S.C. 1988 and other applicable law. So someone, not just a couple of companies in Michigan, but there are people throughout the rest of the United States finally saying, stop violating my constitutional rights. And this is true. I mean, yes, there's caution about opening up churches, movie theaters, restaurants. Yeah, there is going to be caution, and people are going to, what for a little while, keep that distance. I mean, I went to the drugstore yesterday to pick something up, and a woman, not paying any attention, gets in the cashier's line behind me, not, not looking. She almost ran into me. I said, excuse me, you know, see little dots on the floor, they're about six feet apart, would you mind? Um, I had a blazing migraine headache, and I was not in a good mood, but I I was polite. Uh, But for a little while, people are going to adjust, but once this passes, life will go back to normal, and we can get out there in crowds and movie theaters and restaurants and get back to church. And I'm telling you, I think we're also overthinking this. I have to crack up. I see people driving alone in their car, all masked and gloved up. Hello, you're already in a bubble. <laughs> what do you think? The exhaust from the car in front of you is going to give you the COVID virus? Holy moly. I mean, people are really, and I, I have to crack up also. There's this guy jogging in the middle of a track, no one around him for at least maybe 500 feet. I'm driving past him in the car, and he's there jogging with a mask on. Really? You know, there's a, there's a thing called also um, 
herd immunity. You know, once a herd catches some sort of a virus, bug, or whatever you want to call it, and they pass it around from person to person or cattle to cattle, whatever you want to look at it as, they all begin to build an immunity. And then that immunity is passed down to their offspring. So maybe by being overly protective, we are actually doing the exact opposite of what nature intended for us to do. That's right. Of course, we have people that are ill with cancer, pulmonary disease, or diabetes that will be more vulnerable to the virus. And unfortunately, yes, there will be people that will die, but unless we protect the entire herd, how can we propagate the species? So maybe we're just overthinking this too much. If anyone has an opinion, post it up in the chat room. Post it up over on Facebook. I think we're just going a little too far and being a little bit too overprotective and overthinking it. I mean, if you're driving alone in your car with the windows rolled up, you don't <laughs> need to wear a mask. And I've seen, I seen like about five examples of that yesterday, and I pointed it out to um, Carolyn. I said, look at that person in the car for masks on. Nobody in there but that person. And they're riding around, you know, almost they might as well just have a decontamination suit on, you know. <laughs> but I agree, you know, when it comes to herd yeah. immunity, that's how we survive over the, you know, centuries. As humans, you know, we we caught things. Some people did get ill. Some people died. But we built an immunity, and that made us stronger. And the more it's we – well, go ahead. But that's the basis. That's no, the no, essence, no. Right? Yeah. I mean, how many diseases have we eradicated because our, we have built up a herd immunity? You know, the diseases made – I shouldn't say eradicated, but have conquered – they're mm-hmm. still out there, but we're not catching them. Or if we do, the effects are not as deadly as in the past. And, you know, you think about that. You know, so, you know, there's a possibility there will be a vaccine for this uh, COVID-19 virus. I'm not going to go get one. I'm not going to get vaccinated, that's for sure. Me I neither. Think- I don't trust the government and Bill Gates. <laughs> But anyway, I heard that there was a governor, and I think it was from Kentucky, I'm not sure, but he said that they were going to stay, you know, have a stay-at-home order until they come up with a vaccination. That could be a year from now. I doubt if that those people never. would comply, and it could be never. You're right. So I think people are going to rebel. I mean, they're beginning to already to protest. Absolutely. Absolutely. And uh, our governor has been opening up right now. Restaurants has outdoor dining as of Monday, which is good. People need to get back work. And this is something we're going to be discussing with our guests when they call in uh, Bruce Lavelle, as well as um, Hans von Spakovsky. Uh, I hope I'm saying his, his name right, because they both you know, are experts in this area. Uh, we have the woman that was a hairstylist down in Texas that was jailed a judge because she violated an executive order. Well, number one, an executive order is not law. That is not an enacted law. So if she violates it, you get what, a fine? You do not get thrown in jail for seven days. But that's not what he threw her in jail for. 
He threw her in jail for contempt of court for seven days because she refused to apologize. What did this woman have to apologize for? She opened up her, her salon. She had her people all protected with gloves and masks and partitions. So, you know, they, if there was anything with them, they would not spread it or get it themselves. She took all proper precautions. And furthermore, she had them doing the work outside, not inside the salon, but outside. And it is proven, medically proven, that you're far safer outside. The virus doesn't like the outdoor. It likes indoor. It likes confined spaces with lots of people in there. That's how it spreads. And heck, and it doesn't do well yeah. in the heat either. You know, anything over no. 75 degrees, it, it doesn't survive long. And no, it doesn't. And Texas is slightly warmer than we are here in South Carolina. It's closer to the weather you have down there in Florida. So, you know, yep. we had the New York governor, Andrew Cuomo, go, uh, go on um, TV yesterday. And I nearly fell out of my Archie Bunker chair laughing at him. He finally acknowledged the fact that the, the vast majority of the cases of COVID virus they are seeing are occurring from people that are stay at home. They do not occur to people working in the outdoors, playing in the outdoors. Uh, uh, oh, God, the word just went out. Uh, commuting outdoors, jogging, bicycling, throwing the Frisbee with their kids, they're not the ones getting the COVID virus. It's the people that lock themselves up in their homes, all masked up and gloved up, but they still get the virus. So the virus likes, we know, confined places. He finally acknowledged stay at home is not keeping the virus from spreading. In fact, it's spreading more if you're confined at home. So folks, Here's my, my thing. Get out there. Get out there in the public. Don't be afraid. If you, if you want to wear a mask when you go into a store, put the mask on when you walk into a store. I mean, I went to my uh, optometrist. Of course, they did the same thing like they did to me last time. They got the prescription wrong, so I have to send it back. And they said, all right, when you show up at the office, we ask that you put a mask on. So I took a mask with me. All right, that's it's. Their place of business, I'll respect that. I have no problem. But me, as a rule, I don't go walking around wearing a mask. I can't stand the things, first off. And second off, they fog up my glasses. So how can I see where <laughs> I'm walking if my glasses are all fogged up? So if I don't get the virus, I'll probably walk into a wall or get hit by a car because I can't see where the heck I'm going. <laughs> and it's not, it's, not, it's not a good experience to sneeze into one of those things. <laughs> Oh no, that's oh God. <laughs> what a thought. <laughs> what a thought. But you know, like I said, I think some people are just overthinking it. And of course the the hoax is propagated by the left wing media or lamestream media as I call it. You know, uh if if they can cause a panic which forces you to watch their station because now you're so afraid you want to know what more they, they can do. Um, don't. Yeah, it's, I don't know, Curtis. But at least you know people yeah. are starting to get out. Oh, there was a, a bar that opened up in, in Texas, too. 
um, she was told by the local sheriff that, sure, you can open up your car, no problem, but you can't have anyone in it with guns. So she said, I'll open up the bar, but out back of the bar, the property out back is my personal home. So people want to come over and drink and carry a firearm, something I don't actually recommend. I'll go to a bar and have maybe a soda, but not drink and, and have a firearm. Uh, not not too wise, especially if you're drunk no. and off the guy sitting next to you. <laughs> she goes, right, I'll set up chairs outside on my personal property. I'll serve them. No problem. So what did the local sheriff do? They showed up in full SWAT gear in a in a armored vehicle. It looked like some sort of a, a tank or something that they drove up to her bar at. And they arrested her and the patrons. They, they were on her private property. Yeah. So they trespassed onto her private property to arrest people that she gave permission to do. I mean, what was illegal about them congregating on her property? If they kept a safe distance or whatever, what what did? And besides, it was her private property. So what business was it of the police? And now I'm a retired cop, and you know that. But when I saw this, I said, "Oh my God, this this is just doing it too far." And the SWAT guys that showed up to do this, I'm sorry. I, if if I got fired, I would have gotten fired then. I would have violated that order. I says, no, you got to be crazy. Mm-hmm. This is her private property. She has no problem with these guys showing up with weapons on her private property. She has no problem in them purchasing alcohol to have on her private property. It wasn't the business that they were in. It was on her private property. So why were they arresting them? I hope mm-hmm. Governor Abbott and his attorney general again stepped in. And, and get this woman released because I was watching the video last night and it's crazy. It is absolutely crazy. Uh, well, speaking of um, arrests, uh, going to another topic, what are your thoughts as a former um, law enforcement officer on citizens' arrests because of what happened down in Georgia with the um, black guy that was jogging and two Two citizens decided, you know, to take it upon themselves to do a citizen's arrest, and it got out of hand. Well, you know, there's so much about that that is really, really strange. First off, this guy has been jogging the same route for three years. So if if you are from that neighborhood, you would be familiar with this guy at a certain time of day, always jogging the same route. All right? So, you know... Obviously, these two men did not live in the neighborhood, and it seemed like they went out looking for him, for this alleged burglar. And there's a difference between a person jogging and fleeing the scene. There's a whole different mannerism to the person, the speed, the route they're taking. So these guys went deliberately into a neighborhood that's not their own as it appears to look for this alleged burglar because someone made a phone call into 911 thinking that there was a burglary in progress. So they went looking. But were, are they bounty hunters? I don't think so. It's just their behavior was just so weird. And, and there's going to be more that comes out of it because they were arrested. Uh, it took 
the law enforcement 72 days to uh, do something, but only because it went from the local law enforcement up to state law enforcement. And thankfully, you know, it did escalate to that, that level. The action was taken. But um, there's going to be something coming out in the trial. I don't know. These, this father and son team are just weird. Just, it, it doesn't pass the sniff test, honestly. Well, in what instance can a citizen um, evoke a citizen's arrest? Because from what I read, it was really meant for, like, shoplifting type things. Uh, each state is different. Um, I know here in South Carolina, um, if you witness a crime in progress, uh, and at that point, yeah, you can't make a citizen's arrest. But to go out as a bounty hunter, you would need the proper training and licensing uh, in order to do that, because that's a business. Being a bounty hunter is one thing, but as a citizen making a citizen's arrest is something completely different. That would be only if there's an immediate danger or a crime being perpetrated at that moment, Uh, whether it's an assault or a shoplifting or attempted murder. Um, Yeah, at that point, you can uh, step in to protect property and person. But again, each state is different how they define a citizen's arrest. Have you ever experienced one as a law officer, you know, somebody calling in and saying, I'm making a citizen's arrest? The only time I saw that would be a store security guard. The only oh, okay. time. And they they would only detain the person. At which point, our, my per, personally, every time I found something like that happening, I would say 100% of the time this happened, it would be when it was a young mother who had no money for the child's food. And it would be diapers and formula that was always being taken. And at that point, yeah, at that point, you know, I would turn around. uh, I know at one point this woman was so destitute, I paid for the stuff out of pocket. But I then had them sign a statement in lieu of arrest that you do not return to that store. And they would avoid being arrested and avoid a criminal record uh, and then go on their way and take care of their child. But that's me personally. I don't know what other officers would have done, but this is what I have done. So just the only time it was, was, we, we was made arrest, uh, another store arrest was, <laughs> this was a hooker that was up on crack. Oh, she got violent inside the store. So she was trying to beat up the store owner. But that was for assault, not shoplifting. <laughs> oh, man. But, oh, man. She almost kicked out the window in the patrol car. She kicked the window so hard, I actually watched it pop out of the frame and back in. <laughs> Wow. She was a big girl. <laughs> wow. But you, you were right. They did arrest the father and son today, I think it was. And the question and is, yesterday. this thing goes way back to February, and nothing had, you know, nothing was ever done, you know, until it gained well, national, you know, attention and, and scrutiny. Yeah, um, which is which is unfortunate, but, again, who knows? Because everyone has been up with this pandemic, you know, locked away and everything. So who knows? Detectives may have been reassigned to something else, or maybe assisting with patrol and enforcing these shutdown laws or executive orders, not laws. Um, 
But it was someone tell me when an executive order became a criminal law. I just, it, it just, I don't know. I don't know. But meanwhile, it looks like we may have a, you know, um, today is VE Day. It is the day that uh, World War II was finally ended. Um, so there are activities that are going on with uh, President Trump today. So it's possible since uh, Bruce Rizal is, yeah, is an advisor to President Trump, he may have gotten caught up in the festivities and may not be able to call in. Uh, that's a possibility. So he has called. He's been a guest to the show a couple of times in the past. So it's not that I know he doesn't like us. He loves us. But <laughs> you got to remember to all those veterans out there from World War II, their numbers are dwindling drastically. Not just World War II veterans are, are passing away, um, but now Korean War and Vietnam War veterans are passing away at record number. And this virus hasn't helped. And, of course, nursing homes like up in Holyoke, Massachusetts, by taking in um, COVID patients has not helped the uh, longevity rate of these veterans. We know that one nursing home, a veteran uh, nursing home, lost 70 veterans to the virus because they took in COVID patients. And, uh, oh, that is something else. Governor Pataki, love this guy. Um, former governor in New York State, has called for a federal investigation of Governor Cuomo, wanting to know why Governor Cuomo ordered COVID-19 patients to be transported to and housed in nursing homes. How many thousands of our senior citizens, of our uh, disabled, of our physically ill people that are living in these nursing homes, needing um, 24-hour care, have died because COVID-19 were bedded in these nursing homes. Nursing homes are not equipped for the type of medical emergency and treatments these COVID-19 patients needed. This Wuhan, i got to stop saying COVID-19. i got to go back to Wuhan virus. That's yeah. more exactly what it is, the Chinese virus. That's right. You know, they don't, the staff is not trained to handle this. Um, a lot of nursing homes may have only one or two nurses on staff, one doctor, and they don't have the ability to handle the medical situation that, requ- that should be actually a hospitalization. Nursing homes are not hospitals. These people should never have been sent to a nursing home. So, I mean, I, if anything, I think... Governor Cuomo should be prosecuted. Involuntary for, manslaughter. No, it's actually would be voluntary manslaughter. He okay. knew. He knew that you know, everyone, all the doctors, all the medical experts, before New York City became the epicenter, New York State being the epicenter of the um, of the spread of the virus here in the United States, they all knew that the people that were Dying from the COVID viruses were people over the age of 65 with other underlying health conditions. And here's something else that they're also finding, that people that have vitamin D deficiency are more likely to catch the virus and die from the virus, which explains why countries such as Italy, Germany, uh, 
uh, in Iran, in China, where their their diet is low in vitamin D. That these the, the population of these have lower levels of vitamin D. But those that have the higher level, like the United States, like Canada, would have lower instances. You ever wonder why we don't have the millions dying that was predicted here in the United States? But we are, I think, with something somewhere over 70, going into 80,000. But that's not a million. That's not even 100,000 yet. And considering the size of our population, that is less than 1%. Far less than 1%. I think it's like oh, yeah, that's one. Four. That's one Super Bowl stadium attendance, you know, number. I think Super Bowl attendance is well over 100,000. I think 150 was the last one. Yeah. I'm not sure. I haven't put things haven't in watched. perspective. But, I mean, no, we don't take that lightly, but it's not the end of no. the world. No, and as Chief points out, the left is trying to condition us to accept the new normal. You know, if you think about this. Who, who is it out there that's saying that you have to stay at home? It's the World Health Organization. It's the United Nations. It is the globalists, the, the leftists, that, that want you to accept a new normal. Why? This way they can now control everything you do, taking away our constitutional rights. Everyone hates the fact that we in the United States are the most unique nation in the world, that we have these guaranteed freedoms and liberties, that we are able to say whatever we want. Okay, fine, you can't yell fire in a, a crowded theater. All right, common sense, guys. But we can, we can protest our government. If we don't like our government, every couple of years, or actually every year, every election we have, we have the ability to change our government by changing the people we elect to that government. So our government is changing every year. Every four years, we change the presidency. Every two years, we change the House. Every six, we change the Senate. We have the ability to change the ruling party by our votes. We can have a peaceful revolution in every election. And, folks, the sound of those jets you hear is the sound of freedom from the Marine Corps Air Station. Hoorah, Marines. Thank you for protecting our nation. Now it's oh, we just us. had the We just had the Blue Angels fly over Jacksonville and um, over yeah. the beaches this morning. Yeah, I, I saw that. And I got to say, they did that to the New York City police officers. And when the hospital ship pulled out of uh, New York Harbor, uh, you had to see the picture. Uh, it was on the front page of our local paper, uh, the picture of the police officers lined up along the pier, along with the um, bagpipe band, saluting the Navy as they pulled out of the harbor, as they left their duty station as a hospital ship. I mean, I started to tear up. I mean, these guys, oh, God. Yeah, that, those are good guys. Not the ones that show up in a armored vehicle, a tank, and SWAT gear to arrest a bar owner and her patrons that she allowed on her private home property. There's good cops and there are some bad. And then you got good leaders and you got some bad leaders. When I saw New York City cops lined up along the pier with the with the 
with the uh, bagpipes, man, my heart just just jumped for joy. We're, we are living yeah. in an in- interesting time. Yeah, just speaking of interesting times, um, Flynn, the case against him was dropped yesterday, I believe, or it's in the process of being dropped. So it's coming to life, you know, all those things that Shifty Shift, you know, been up to over the past two, three years. Yeah. And, you know, I just pulled up, pulled in front of me, I pulled out the stack of papers. You know how I do this, Chris. I got a stack of articles in front of me. And on top was the about the Georgia shooting. And here they, they stated that it was his habit to jog down that residential street for three years. And these guys were waiting for him to run past. So obviously, somehow or other, they knew what this kid's habit was. And like I said, there's going to be more to this story. Once this thing goes to trial, I, I think in one way or another, they were familiar with the victim. The victim may not have known them, but they knew the victim in one way or another because the men were parked in a pickup on the side of the street. And he had to jog around their vehicle onto the, sho- the road's shoulder. And as he neared the front, a gunshot rang out, and the jogger was seen struggling with a man holding a shotgun or a rifle. You know, he was shot three times, one, at one point, point blank in the gut. That's not an arrest. That, that, oh, man. That, the, the story's upsetting me. But here, um, yesterday was the prayer service. Trump had the prayer service at the White House. Um, and you know what the, the media p- picks up on? Not what he was saying and his message to the nation. What the, the mainstream or lamestream media picked up on is what Melania was wearing. Colorful snakeskin shoes. I, I have no idea how to pronounce the name of this designer. Louboutins? Louboutins? I don't have no idea, as if I really could care. And a safari dress. Oh, my goodness, she had a safari dress on for the prayer service. Really? I think there was far more important messages to be given out by the news media, such as what it was that Trump was saying to the nation. But no, that's not, that's not what they, they focus on. She was wearing these snakeskin shoes. Oh, Oh, the Peter must be having. Oh, good Lord! Snakeskin shoes. Oh, how, the horror! The horror! <laughs> really, guys? Come on, Curtis. Yeah. Not uniting our nation. Now I see callers coming into uh, the studio. So if it is our guest, please press one, and I know to bring you on. Um, and I guess it is one of our guests, if I can get my little finger to work on the mouse here. And we're going to welcome to the show, if I get my, I am so messed up today, Curtis. I don't know one end of the from the other right now. All right. Um, I'm not sure if this is Bruce. Is this Bruce? Hey. How's it going? Hi Bruce, how are you doing today? We got with good, us Bruce Lavelle, who is an advisor to President Trump, and he is also the executive director of the National Diversity Coalition for Trump. I managed to say that now uh, once at least without tripping over it. <laughs> I'm trying to say it three times fast, fast, Bruce, and I don't do too well. That's okay. 
It builds character. <laughs> no, I, I was mentioning that yesterday was the National Prayer Day, and Trump had yeah, a ceremony awesome. at the White House. And, you know, instead of focusing on what President Trump's message was of unity and faith to the nation, they focus on what Melania was wearing. And, oh, the horror. She was, how dare she wear snakeskin shoes and a safari dress? <laughs> oh, come on. Can we get any more ridiculous here? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, hey, you know, uh, anytime there, there's, well, since the president and his inauguration speech said, uh, as it started to rain, I was actually there sitting behind him. We don't worship government. We worship God. And everyone's like, whoa. It's like, welcome. Welcome the new president of the United States. And I, I hate to say it, ever since that point on, anything that gives any reference to 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 God, as, as the president does all the time and prays constantly. Um, matter of fact, uh, we were with him right few days before the government shut down the Oval Office, praying with him, me and Pastor Paula and uh, Diamond and Silk and all this. That I call it that famous picture of us laying hands on and praying with him. You know, obviously, you know, we're, you know, we're going to get come under attack on it and, and, and they know it. And, uh, but, you know, we're going to keep pushing through and I'm, I'm glad that the commander in chief of the highest office in the land in the world acknowledges God first and not, him or the institution, but actually God first. So um, I'm sure there'll be many more, you know, uh, to come, uh, especially if he ever, you know, displays any uh, reverence to, to, to God or to the Lord. So, you know, it just comes with it and he knows it. And so um, we just keep trucking along. Well, it's it's funny because I don't remember rain at the inauguration. I was there with a friend yeah, of mine. Yeah, it was a little right, little light, just a little dri- dri- oh, yeah. oh, yes, yes. All right, I do remember it now because I was with yeah. uh, the group I I went with was a uh, care of my uh, at that time representative Mark Sanford. She was an aide of his, and matter of fact, Mark mm-hmm. Sanford goes to my church. Uh, I see his family all the time. Um, so I just I forgot that it did have a, a very slight drizzle. Yeah, that is funny. Yeah, right after he was giving knowledge, giving all the accolades and acknowledging who God and who where he planned to serve as president and who was going to be his commander in chief. Yeah, yeah, very, very. Yeah. I know it's very. Uh, I know Franklin Graham had a really cool statement about it and made reference to it scripturally of how that all of that just happened that way. So, um, but you know, hey, yeah. it's it's okay. You know, we'll they'll come around. <laughs> you know, they'll come around eventually. Yeah. Hopefully, absolutely. And you know, he he's getting criticism from the left for the way in which he's handling the COVID virus, but he's doing everything correctly. Yeah. At first, they say, "Well, you can't shut down the government. You can't shut." Tell people to stay at home. You can't do, yeah. stop immigration. You can't do this. You can't do that. And when yep. he did it, and now he said it's time to relax the rules. No, no you can't relax the rules. You got to keep everything the way. No, no, no. And he's got the governor, yeah. as my co-host pointed out in uh, Kentucky, saying, "Well, I'm not opening the state back up until there's a vaccine." Well, when is there going to be a vaccine? Like maybe never, possibly. Yeah. So you're going to keep the state closed for the rest of everyone's natural lives? Really? Yeah. You know, I was talking to my wife, my dad, my father-in-law. He's 88 years old. He lives up here north of Atlanta, drives, does everything, two tours of Vietnam. 
And I asked him, I said, Mr. Bell, how did you, how did you cope with the polio pandemic? And he thought about it and he says, you know, um, it was sad and we knew what we had to do. He said, but one thing that we couldn't lock away all the healthy because there needs to be the healthy that get out and make money and take care of things so they can take care of the sick. He said, I don't understand why we're locking everything away. We just got to, we know what we need to do. And it's very interesting how he said it. And, and basically, um, you know, it, it's, uh, it is a situation. I, I was on CNBC the other day, and I made reference to the small mom-and-pop business owners who are one or two employees in their little shops. Um, they, he or she, they know how to govern themselves. They know how to sanitize their place and, you know, check their customers before they come in. And I said, you know, respectfully, the, the smaller mom-and-pops in my personal opinion, being a business owner for 27 years myself in Atlanta, are safer places to be than some of the large Costco's and grocery stores where people are running around grabbing toilet paper, shoulder to shoulder. <laughs> so um, yeah. I, I think, you know, I think we've had the the blessing and the curse of the social media era, you know, Annie, as it relates to Instagram, Twitter, the instant messaging, it's like seconds across the world. And fake news, real news, no news, you know, constantly immersing a lot of the people and creating panic and fear. And so um, that's one of the culprits that we're dealing with. You know, I think it would be a whole different climate if we didn't have the social media world as it relates to to this pandemic virus. But, you know, we're going to overcome this. You know, we're going to get stronger. Mm -hmm. We're going to get better. A lot of relationships are coming back. A lot of online church services have reinvented themselves for some who didn't have it. A lot of families are sitting down talking to each other and, uh, re- you know, reconciling old relationships. And some some are not as good, you know, not good, but most of them are good. So there's going to be a, a tremendous blessing out of this. And that's pretty much something how we have to be and stay optimistic on it. Because it's very easy to get caught up in the doom and gloom once you tr- turn all the channels and that's all you hear. So um, I, I feel and I know we're going to come out better, as the president said, you know, we're going to come out stronger, better, smarter, faster. And meanwhile, we're going to have more uh, more believers. And I just I believe in that. So that's going to be a, a blessing for us. Well, you know, I, I also noticed something, too, because there was the left that always turned around and made fun of us, that those of us that have a sort of a survivalist type of mentality. I'm, I don't call yeah. myself a survivalist. I, I like to be prepared. Now, you, I don't live too far away from you. I'm here in South Carolina. So we have to be prepared for hurricane season. And we just oh, yeah. know, you know, you need your first aid kit. You need backup batteries. Yeah. You need a backup supply of food, toilet paper, paper towels, uh Hand wipes, yeah. alcohol, uh, you know, all those little things that people are panicking and taking off the shelf. You know, make sure you've got extra cleaners, extra bleach, whatever it is, so that if you do get locked in or have to grab a go bag and leave, you have to be prepared. Now, my husband and I have right. five cats, and now I have on my hands my mother who recently had a stroke, so there's no way hurricane season that we're going to pack up and take off. We hunker downs. We've got two generators. We've got a gas grill. Uh, we've got the fireplace. Yeah. So whatever we need. So I can maintain my phone, my Internet. We are independent. A lot of people make fun of us. People like you and me yeah. are prepared. 
So when something like yeah. this happens, maybe there's a few extra things, like we didn't have the mask. Uh, so, all right, fine, I went online, found a pattern, and started to make them until my sewing machine broke. <laughs> right. I mean, if I have yeah. to, I'll hand stitch them. No big deal. But, you know, now people are starting to get the idea that maybe we're not that crazy. Maybe it is a good idea. If you go out to buy uh, toilet paper, don't just get one package, get two. So when you start to run mm-hmm, those, yeah. right front, I gotta go get a backup. You know, it, it, simple things like that, and and people are finally mm-hmm. starting to understand that they may need to be more independent of government than dependent on government. Are you seeing the same thing? Yeah, I'm seeing? yeah, yeah. You know, um, it, it, it's what it boils down to, and it's sad because, you know, we 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 slipped a generation to where, and and you see it. You know, for example, AOC. You know what she says, and Omar and all of them, as a the group, as the president calls, and you know, it, it's not so much you like, wow, I can't believe AOC said that. It's just imagine the constituents, the their voters that put her in on that type of messaging, that the actual people that vote these people in on that messaging is kind of to me is scary. It's just like, you know, I was in uh, Home Depot the other day. And Sky, we were talking and said, you know, he said, man, this is what socialism looks like. I said, absolutely. And I said, just to think that Bernie Sanders packed stadiums of people who actually had that ideology. That's the scary part of it. You know, where, what, what happened? Where did, we, where did we slip up at to get an American citizen to actually buy into the theory of socialism or to buy into the theory of the government is to save all, take care of all? And um, and that's why I believe in my heart. Since you know President Trump came in the office, we we were there for those prophetic words in 2015 uh, with Pastor Lance and several other pastors up there in his his uh, conference room on the on the 26th floor back in 2015. You know, we knew um, just like we knew that it would be bumpy, and we knew if to make this type of change to bring prayer back, God back to the Oval office and acknowledging all the we knew it would take a person of his stamina and his background to endure and go through these types of punishing you know resistance that he goes through the left the middle the establishment etc the government within itself that the deep state as he calls it you know it 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 it's it's he was the right person for this. I didn't think it was going to be a pandemic virus. You know, I knew there would be some other deals, but I, you know, I, I don't think of it. There's anyone else that was on that ballot that would be able to, to go through this type of uh, punishment that he's gone through as it relates to being commander in chief. Annie. so, you know, I, I'm, I, I pray for him every day. Oh, we, we all do. We all do. Um, I know, I know a lot of people in my church, when they call out prayers, uh, I hear his name being called out uh, <laughs> yeah. in our church. It, it, it's it's amazing uh, the support that he actually does have of the vast majority of the people. You know, I've never seen anyone attack a president like they have with President Trump. I, I remember when people were going after Richard Nixon, uh, but they didn't go after people that were their friends or, you know, their aides. They went after the President Nixon himself. You know, yeah, there was that, I, I'm trying to remember, uh, Ehrlichman, uh, Mitchell, Dean, the, they, those were the 
the core crew. There was that song that used to go around. I we used to sing it. Haldeman, Ehrlichman, Mitchell, and Dean. I, boy, bringing up memories. Um, yeah, but you don't see it to the extent that they're going after people around Trump. Uh, now it's coming up that uh, Papadopoulos, uh, a person that he knew, an acquaintance, reacquainted himself with it, attached himself to Papadopoulos, and he was an FBI informant spy who ended yep. up in a conversation that was taped calling for the extermination of Israeli Jews uh, and, <laughs> yeah. and then calling out uh, Russians and Koreans and, and another ethnic group, I forget, you know, that, that should be treated you know, subhumanly. Uh, yeah. This is what is attacking them. And now we find Flynn's cases thrown out. Uh, yeah. So what is going to happen with Jerome Corsi and Roger Stone? You know, yeah. they tried to go after Katie McFarland. I mean, insomuch yeah. as coming to her house right as she was taking her daughter to school. Her yeah. husband not home. It's like, do I need an attorney? No, we're just going to do some informal questions. Do you have any problem with that? My goodness, the fear that must have gone through these individuals as mm-hmm. they are persecuted. But do we touch Hillary Clinton? No. Wow. You know, uh, it's interesting. I, I remember my mom, God rest her soul, I remember uh, – she would say, you know, um, we, I, as kids, we broke a vase one time. We glued it back, and the kids were all over <laughs> spending the night. You know, we were middle schoolers, and we were getting – and then two months later, the the vase kind of gave way, and she put water in it. And that night, when we were all kids. She goes, who – who you who broke this vase? And we were like, oh, I don't know, Mom. And she goes, honey, that's okay. That's okay. The Lord knows. And my point is – you know, I tell some of my, my friends and believers and non-believers that, you know, whatever Hillary or whatever we all do, we all got to answer. So um, it may not be our time, you know, but she's, she, like everyone and everyone on this call and this listening, we all have to answer for what, you know, what we've done or what we have thought we were going to get away with. So, you know, until, you know, you get some level of peace, you release it because, you know, for a while, some of my my uh, radical Republican friends are getting a little rough out there. I said, man, you got to learn to just let that go and <laughs> let God's got that and stop letting it overtake you. <laughs> and that's something that uh, constantly I remind myself, especially when you see some injustices, just like the, the young boy that was shot down here in Brunswick, um, the GBI went and arrested those two guys that, that gunned him down, jogging down the street. Um, that was a tremendous tension here in the state as well as the country it's going viral you know i finally told my friends like look you gotta let go let go and let god lead on this and that's pretty much where all of this has to go especially in this pandemic crisis is getting back to as as my good friend jensen franklin says faith over fear hashtag faith over fear faith over fear and keep speaking that so you know but we're going to get through it we've been through tough times and and, uh, speaking know. of fear, speak, this is the co-host, C.S. Bennett. Speaking of fear, I have um, relatives who have actually bought into the fear component of this pandemic, and they're yeah. actually afraid to leave their homes. And, yep. and and that's understandable. But what I don't yeah. understand is they're warning everyone else to do likewise. In other words, yeah. they, they, I had a relative that told me that I don't know why other people would take such risks. 
and go to the beach or go to the store <laughs> without a mask. And and yeah. I told them, look, you know, this is what makes us different from other countries. We we have freedoms and we have liberties and we have the right to to take risks. Yeah, you know, we don't need government to tell us as adults what risk to yeah. take and what risk not to take. And that's something the left do not understand. Yeah. You know, I was talking to Andrew Sorkin on Squawk Box the other day on his show, and I said, you know, the new norm when you walk into, as we generally come out of this, is is to walk in and watch the restaurant score being 101, and then to to smell a little pine salt and bleach is going to be the new, new taboo, <laughs> the new thing when you walk in. You know, and I say that to say that um, earlier, as I spoke before, it's governing ourselves accordingly. We know what's out there. We know this is related to hygiene. You know, I know my business, we scrubbed it top to bottom, had a professional cleaning crew. Some of my friends who own uh, heating and air units have installed uh, very sophisticated air filtration systems, um, new types of, uh, of cleaning solutions that are environmental friendly that they've sprayed on the counters and used um, one of my friends Bishop Green in Maryland he did a video showing this team coming in and and literally sanitizing his entire congregation he made like a little a mini movie of it and shot it out there on Instagram to give the confidence back and 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 essentially that's what it's going to take to for some especially as your family members and I have the same ones that live in the fear of staying locked away and masked away and the fear of catching and the fear um, is that it's going to promote, you know, more, uh, you know, conscious folks in terms of how they're cleaning and what they're doing in their environments. And the businesses that are the cleanest and all that are going to get uh, more favor. And that's why I think there's going to be a bigger blessing outside of this when we come out of this um, with relationships as well as how we do business as well as how we, you know, keep our businesses clean and our environments, et cetera. So um, once again, there's the optimistic here, optimism. Yeah, and <laughs> something else, the left is not focused on the 90-something percent that do not come down sick or, you know, seriously ill with this. They they always right. focus on the, the the 10% or whatever of people who yeah. are really suffering and whatnot. And that, that causes, you know, additional fear. If they would kind of yeah. like balance it and say, look, you know, this is what's happening, but we got 90% of, of the people or the population who's not really, you know, it's not a death sentence towards. I think people would right. be more relaxed, more confident. Yeah, yeah absolutely. So, I, you know, I am. Um, well, I was going to say, we're finding out a lot of different things because. Yesterday, I watched Governor Cuomo, and I, I'm telling the audience, I almost fell out of the Archie Bunker chair laughing at this man if it wasn't so uh, tragic. Finally admitting that the vast majority of people that get the virus and spread the virus are people that are at home locked down. It's not people that are outside. It's not the guy yeah. that's on the bike. It's not the guy jogging. It, it's, it's not the people that go to the park with their kids. They're the people that do get outdoors are less likely to get the virus or spread the virus. But if you're inside a confined place with other people, you have a good chance of of getting it or spreading it. So he's finally admitting that he did something wrong. But what I found even better is that former Governor George Pataki 
is calling out Cuomo for placing these COVID patients in nursing homes ill-equipped to handle the situation, not trained or equipped to handle these, and placing them near people that are vulnerable with underlying health conditions. Otherwise, they wouldn't be in that nursing home. So how many thousands of deaths had he caused because of his executive order action? Yeah. Yeah, it's, uh, man, I, I, you know, it's like, like I said earlier, it's, it's, we are inundated with so much information on the Internet and so much uh, theories and hypotheticals, and, and, um, and it, it still gets back to governing yourselves accordingly, putting in who can govern your business, who can govern your home the best, the government or you. And I think that we have an unfortunate disconnect in this, you know, this last generation that has put so much confidence in government and not themselves and, and who they are in their faith. So, but in light of that, I believe that's going to, that's going to be a turning point for a lot of the folks. I think there's uh, going to be once again, a lot more relationships reconciled. Um, a lot of folks have, I got text messages during this pandemic crisis where people were, Hey man, I watched this service online and, and uh, you know, right before this one lady, we got locked down. She sent me a picture of her baptismal robe. So I'm still looking at the light of all of this, you know, <laughs> as, as where we're going to come out of this. So, um, but you know, uh, God's got it. It's all going to be good. Yeah, yeah it, it's uh, it, it is a, an interesting time we're living in because I thought going through Watergate and Vietnam <laughs> that was interesting times, but this has yeah. it hands down. It is. It, we may have seen a generation um, change with the rise of the 60s, 70s, and then disco in the 80s <laughs> to the, the turnaround. Oh, yeah. But yeah. to to, uh, to see what's going on today, and what I predicted was is that we're going to see whole new industries rise up, and these will be people such as those that are delivering food and groceries to homes. Yeah. We're going to see a whole mm-hmm. new at home business industry so we're a mom yeah. and pop store well, the telecommuters is going to another level already yeah. the telecommuters the, if i see another zoom i'm going to explode <laughs> you know i you know i have never been on zoom <laughs> I, I haven't even tried yet yeah it's uh but, it's um, interesting <laughs> no i haven't tried that yet honestly but you know i think that where people may close a mom and pop store some someone else will step in to fill whatever that void is. Because uh, I, I know that I had to call for help because my mom, like I said, had a stroke. So I've been dealing with social services and nurses and everything else. So when you call, nine times out of ten, I'm talking to someone who's working out of their home. So even yep. we're going to see probably a lot of business costs go down yeah and you know even like the class a office buildings that's all going to transform where you know the the fight can drive down the highway to go to the break room to go up to the fifth floor and the parking deck you know a lot of this is changing tremendously right as we speak um i talked to a one ceo of a company um he's in gravel business and he I, i asked him hey how's this going he said man believe it or not we're actually a little more efficient i was like for real so, yeah, there's going to be a lot of um, transitions as, and as it relates to how we commute to work and 
the the teleworking is is going to another level. The technology and WebEx and Zoom are, are escalating higher and higher in terms of um, how we communicate with each other via teleconferencing, et cetera. So um, it's it's going to be a new era, I tell you. It really is. So, But I don't think it's going to yeah. totally take everything over because, you know, uh, people have to interact with people. You know, it's it's a, you know, there's nothing like a good old country hug. You know, y'all from the South too, you know, especially uh, when you got new people visiting your church or your member, you know, you want to give them a hug. You know, it's like, it's that I, I, I still believe that's never going to go away and I'm, I'm not going to let it go away, you know, you know, good old firm handshake. So um, I still believe in that. So, but you know, it's, it's going to be good. Well, yeah, there's going to be a lot of hand sanitizer going around. Matter of fact, even just going into a couple of stores, they have someone standing outside with a bottle of hand sanitizer yeah. to spray your hand. But, you know, when yeah. I get someone to come to the house, like FedEx or something like that, I have extra little uh, dispensers of hand sanitizer, you know, those little, you know, four, six mm-hmm. ounce uh, yeah. things. So I always give one of the delivery guys one of the sanitizers, and you have no idea how many times I said, oh, thank you. I had none in the truck, or I, I, I was yeah. in a different truck, so I didn't have my stuff with me. And they like it better than handing them a tip. So, you know. Yeah. How about it, this? It, it, I got a buddy of mine building his third restaurant up here in Alpharetta and this i've seen this going on now as we speak they're putting as you walk in the front part of the restaurant the little area where you walk in and then you hit the other door to go into the main dining room there's uh two or three sinks there that are you know very decorative on granite real nice types of soaps and the the deal is you walk in and wash your hands before you enter the restaurant that's the new thing nice. that they're putting here already. How about that? Now, nice. They still have the sinks in the restroom in the back too, but it's that, and they look and they're real fancy looking, like you know, granite tops and fancy soap, and you know, it's 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 like inviting to like, hey, before you walk through here, uh, how about wash your hands real quickly? So it's like I said, it's, it's the businesses that are gonna, that'll prevail, the ingenuity, the 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 walk in and like, oh, I smell pine salt. This must be a clean place. You know, that's going to be the new deal. <laughs> so um, we're, it, that's what I'm saying. It's going to be a, a tremendous blessing out of all of this. It's going to get us all con- – because, you know, listen, I, I fly all over the country, and I'll be honest with you guys. I, I have been in the men's restroom, and I'm sitting here, you know, washing it, whatever, and I look over there, and guys, you know, come out of the stalls and walk right by the sink, and I'm wanting here like, hey, where are you going? You know, and jump right <laughs> on the plane. So, you know, I I, I think uh, it, it's it's going to create a, a very health conscious environment to get people to think twice about just basic hygiene. That probably, you know, a lot of us on this this, this uh, call probably have taken for granted where that got forgotten about. So, um, as my mom used to say, honey, you know, we were. We were poor, but just because we were poor, we didn't have to be nasty. We knew how to make a broom and, and, and <laughs> you know, t- taught me how to get that big bucket of hot water, pour some bleach with some rubber gloves and clean the brakes board. So, um, and that Sergeant Major, I was, uh, who was my dad, taught me how to clean under the toilet. So, you know, it, it's, oh, it's, yeah. uh, it, it, it's, it's a, it's a come to Jesus time when it comes to hygiene, you know, and you got to remember too, you know, 
you know, biblically and everything that went on, if you notice from the old covenant to the new covenant, is always making reference to hygiene, how you how you address leprosy and lepers, and how do you clean? How what do you eat? What do you? It, it's it's nothing new in terms of how we are as uh, practicing good hygiene and good care for ourselves. Um, and I think you know, I, I did talk to the the um, Surgeon General right when he got appointed. We were at the White House one day, and he says, you know, I, I really want to address nutrition. And I think, um, and if you guys know this, unfortunately, when this COVID hits, it hits the folks that have preexisting the hardest and the most aggressive. And how do we, you know, invite our, our you know, promote good, healthy, conscious eating and um, nutrition, et cetera, um, and to combat these type of diseases that won't, you know, overtake you when something like this goes down. So it's kind of interesting. So like I said, the, 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 the nutrition, the, the working out and how we're going to, I think, like I said, here, here comes the great blessing and the light at the end of the tunnel. I just believe in that. You know, it's funny because you mentioned, um, uh, uh, the food diet, but we're finding, Mm -hmm. finding that one of the studies they did is that vitamin D levels may impact COVID-19 mortality rates in a study. Uh, the researchers mm-hmm. found from Northwestern University analyzed data from hospitals and clinics across China, France, Germany, Italy, Iran, South Korea, Spain, Switzerland, and the United Kingdom and the United States. And those that had a vitamin D deficiency had a higher mortality rate. So even just simple diet and exercise and outdoor sunshine because getting outside into the sun also affects your vitamin D level. And why is it they find that there's far less infections for people that are outdoors compared to people indoors? It is important, not just cleanliness, but also your diet. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, I have a friend that's been kind of under the weather, and um, he says, he calls me the other day, he says, you know, I've been sitting out on the deck. So what are you doing? He said, brother, just just letting that sun hit me. And it's interesting you say that and you saw the president make reference to the light rays and the light. And, you know, we all know that the sun, especially when we're talking about beaches and salt air and exfoliating on the sand, when you walk, it's it's a lot of these are already here. Um, It's just implementing them more and getting outside and, you know, even, I mean, guys, even from a generation to where riding down the streets, you, you couldn't go down the street because all the kids were on the bicycles and skateboards. You know, that's gone away for the last 15 years through Xbox, Playstations. And so, um, like I said, here we go. There's, there's going to be a bigger light, bigger blessing on it when we really come out of this. And um, I just think God's going to prevail on it. Well, I have to laugh. I see people out there jogging and biking that I've never seen before. And as I go down and do my errands, yeah. run to the store, or whatever I have to do, well, I'm neighbors, seeing Annie. more important people out there. <laughs> Some of them are not in too good shape, which is good reason. But people hey. have become far more health conscious. Yeah. Or you meet someone like, you live here in this neighborhood? Like, yeah, I've been here for 15 years. Like, Really? How about those testimonies? <laughs> well, yeah, another blessing. Yeah. Well, listen, I always appreciate yeah. you having me on. Um, 
I um, headed off to the next duties, but um, it's always a blessing. Thanks for having me back on again. I really appreciate it. Oh, it is. And, um, it is our pleasure. And I didn't even touch half the articles I wanted to go over with you because uh, Trump—they're all blaming him for these bad uh, employment numbers. Um, but he brought the economy back uh, before, and he's going to do it a second time as soon as the governors open yep. up their states. I, I think we're going to see it again. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Just keep the faith. But thank you once again. Thanks for having me again. I really appreciate it. God bless you guys. Right. Thank you. And people, people can find you at ndctrump.com. Thank you, Bruce. Have a blessed yes, day. Ma'am. Mm-hmm. Thank you, ma'am. Thank you. Okay. Bruce Lavelle. Uh, check him out, ndctrump.com. Uh, as Curtis is calling in our next guest, um, I want to mention to you, uh, I like Lamestream media doesn't concoct the news, do they? Uh, this was up on uh, American Action News, but it was broken um, by our friend from Project Veritas. Uh, I love him. I absolutely do love him. Um, they have learned that the CBS News crew filming in Grand Rapids, Michigan, wasn't satisfied with the orderly COVID-19 testing scene at the Cheryl I'm sorry, not Cheryl, Cherry Medical Center in Grand Rapids, Michigan. Now, this is where I wish Cool Mike would call in. And um, they actually staged footage and claiming to be the actual event. Uh, so they, they, they actually manufactured the, the – they, they staged it. They acted out the scene. They had employees of the hospital get in their cars as if they're waiting in line to make it look like something completely different. So they concocted a story that wasn't there. Now, so CBS, you know, good going on you. They've pulled it, the video, but they won't admit to the fact that they manufactured it. That said, talk about phony news. Um, here's someone that can talk to us about that and even more. Welcome to the show, Hans von Spakovsky. I hope I pronounced that correctly. Did I? You you came close. <laughs> no, it was just fine. It's, uh, it's Hans von Spakovsky, but uh, hey, it's a typical Southern name, you know, for somebody who uh, was born and raised in Alabama, don't you think? <laughs> well, I was born and raised in New York, and I live in the South now. But you should see people try to get my last name, uh, where I believe yours is Russian. My last name is Latvian. So. Oh, yeah. Yeah, no, you're right. It is The last name is Russian, but my mother was German, which is how I ended up with Hans as the first name. So a typical, typical American immigrant, immigrant family story. Now, I, I, I'm trying to figure out where I want to start with you uh, because so much is going on. And we're seeing people being arrested uh, because they want to get back to normal. They want to get their businesses right. back. You had right. the one uh, salon owner in Texas uh, arrested, and thankfully the governor and the, the attorney general and the uh, lieutenant governor in Texas stepped in and said, no, release her. Uh, violating our rights. You know, where is it in the Constitution or in any law that states that you cannot legally own a business and operate it if it's legal? Where, where do they get the right to deny us a living? Well, we're 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 in the middle of um, you know the COVID nineteen uh, pandemic uh, crisis, and the laws that apply to this um, 
are such that, I mean, to give you an example, in, during World War II, Congress passed a federal law dealing with this kind of issue. And that law gives the president the ability uh, to order that people that uh, have an infectious disease be quarantined. It gives the president the power to close U.S. borders, uh, which, as you know, he did, um, to prevent uh, people with the infectious disease from getting into the states. And it also gives them the power to shut off travel between states. These kind of actions have been upheld by the courts, but only under emergency conditions. You know, if a president tried to exercise this kind of uh, action when we weren't facing like something like something like this, they wouldn't be able to do it. Um, governors across the country also have a certain amount of authority that's granted to them by their state constitutions, but only in these kind of emergency situations. And the the way this is looked at from a legal standpoint is, you know, they can do things that are reasonable and necessary, but they can't go overboard or go too far. And the, the best way of illustrating um, the difference is uh, in Kansas, where the, the, the Kansas governor issued an order basically banning all meetings uh, of, of more than 10 people but she made an exception for all of these uh, different businesses and retail uh, establishments, malls, grocery stores, et cetera. Um, but she didn't make the same exception for churches. So churches, if, even if they wanted to follow all the safety protocols, you know, have, have a church service where people are separated by a six-foot distance, et cetera, um, they couldn't hold a church service, even though uh, malls were open, uh, restaurants were, uh, I'm sorry, uh, grocery stores were open, as long as they followed the safety protocols. And a federal court said, you cannot treat churches differently than all these other organizations, because that means you're engaging in religious discrimination. So that kind of tells you that, yeah, they can take, you know, pretty strong measures, but they they can't go too far and do things that are unreasonable or unjustified. No, it's, it's like that uh, one church that people were sitting in their cars. They weren't congregating around, walking right. around outside. They were in the cars listening. You know. Yeah, that was in what, Louisville, Louisville, it, Kentucky. It was Louisville, Kentucky. Yeah, they it, were going to have drive-in services uh, uh, for Easter, and the mayor of the city said, oh, you can't do that. Now, look, that was a ridiculous order, even under the conditions we all know are going. Because if, if you're in your car, <laughs> you're, you're being socially distant from other people. Fortunately, that church went to court. And again, we had a, a federal judge say, uh, Mr. Mayor, you can't do that. And, and by the way, Annie, uh, that judge, that federal judge, is a guy named Justin Walker, and, you know, he was nominated. He's a federal district court judge in Kentucky. Uh, he was nominated by President Trump to be on the federal court of appeals in the District of Columbia. And the left has been just going crazy, criticizing him and saying that he shouldn't be elevated to the appeals court. He, he sounds like just the kind of guy we want as a judge. <laughs> yeah. You also had, again, in Texas – a SWAT team would look like either 
uh, some sort of an armored vehicle, almost like a tank, and, and yeah. show up in West Odessa at a bar, uh, Big Daddy Zane's. And, you know, the owner turned around and called the, the sheriff and said, listen, I can't do this. I've got to open up. I've got, I've got to feed my family. I need to earn money. So can I open up the bar? And the guy, the sheriff goes, fine, that's fine. Just don't allow any of the patrons bring their guns in. And she goes, no problem. I've got no problem with that. So she opens up, and she owns a piece of property behind the bar. It's her own personal property. It's not part of the business. And she said, listen, guys, if you do, why don't you go over onto my property? You know, we'll set up some tables, some lawn chairs, or whatever for you. You can have your drinks, you can have your guns, but you'll be on my personal property, not on the business, so we should be fine. Instead, they send a SWAT team. They arrest her. They arrest the patrons. Isn't It's getting crazy. Yeah, that's, an, again, I think a pretty clear example of an, over, an overreaction. And if I was uh, the lawyers representing those folks, I would be filing a civil rights lawsuit against that sheriff that you know that again that's just going it's just going too far you know look part of the problem here that we see throughout the country is government officials treating all of us like children like we can't on our own uh do the things that we're being cautioned uh to do uh look last weekend my wife and i went to one of our state parks here in virginia where i live and we went hiking and all the fo- there were lots of folks there, but everybody uh, on the hiking trails and elsewhere was following the rules. You know, people were stepping aside to make sure they kept distance between them. Um, compare that to, for example, in the county where I live, all the county parks have been closed because uh, the the county commissioners here apparently think that we are too stupid as a public uh, to follow the social distancing rules. Fortunately. Uh, the state parks have remained open because apparently there's a little better trust that we will, uh, we know what we're doing. You know, it's crazy here because in South Carolina, things are starting to open up, but you do have small municipalities, and I shouldn't say small, like places like Hilton Head that don't want to open the beaches all the way up. Or if they do open it, it's only to the residents directly on that beach. So tourists can't go there. People that don't have access to a beach but are living in the county can't go there and so these little towns like hilton head and stuff like that are are going even stricter than what the state and county are doing but as i said at the beginning i think we're being oversensitive, over uh attentive to the situation i think we should go the opposite way and lessen it uh because there's something called herd immunity. Once the whole herd gets it, we get an immunity and we pass it down to our children. But if, if we keep on being overprotective, we're not, this thing will be around for decades rather than just for a short postseason. Well, that may be, but you know, I have to say that that kind of gets me out of uh, my legal expertise and into a medical, you know, the medical expertise. Um, but what I will say is, uh, and, and actually the Attorney General of the United States said this uh, two weeks ago. You know, he, he sent out a statement to uh, all of the U.S. attorneys in the country telling them to be on the lookout for state and local officials who go too far and start infringing on 
um, the First Amendment rights, for example, of Americans. And look, in that statement, he said, look, yeah, there are there are uh, many precautionary measures that have to be taken to try to, to stop the spread of this uh, infection. Um, but those steps have to be, like I said, reasonable and justified by the circumstances. Uh, they, elected officials can't go too far and do do ridiculous things like prevent drive-in services at churches or show up with a SWAT team at, at a bar uh, that has opened to serve its customers. I mean, that is just kind of, that is just the kind of foolish thing that unfortunately some officials around the country are doing. Yeah, wouldn't that be more of a fine than an arrest? Yes, I mean, exactly right. This is That's particularly true because there are some places, uh, including, I think, in Texas, where local, here they put this, uh, this uh, owner of the salon in jail, and yet they have apparently been releasing all kinds of criminals from jails and were refusing to indict other criminals, people who are really dangerous. Um, you know, the best thing about that is uh, apparently, you know, she's not only is she out of jail, but she has now uh, been allowed to open, and I don't know if you saw that uh, one of her first customers who came to get his haircut was Senator Ted Cruz. Oh, good. <laughs> if I had the time oh, and the money, I, you know, if I had the time and the money, I think I, I'd be willing to uh, fly down there just to get my haircut just to support this, this lady uh, because she is typical of small business owners all over the country whose livelihoods are, are being uh, devastated by, by what's happening. Yeah. It's, it, I'm willing to bet Ted Cruz probably brought his father, Raphael. And if you ever met Raphael, I mean, I can just gobble that man up. He's so adorable and he's funny. So I can, I can see the two of them side by side getting their haircut. But, you know, talking about the violation of our Constitution, Pam Geller yesterday filed a lawsuit against uh, Mayor de Blasio in New York City for violating the First and Fourteenth Amendment of the Constitution and not allowing freedom of speech, freedom of assembly, freedom to protest the, the government. So, you know, people are starting to take action and, and taking back their constitutional rights. Yeah, and I, uh, I have to say, I like, to, I like seeing that. Um, you know, that's one of the best things about America is that uh, here, people don't just um, quietly uh, live with uh, wrongdoing. Uh, they get upset about it, and they try to do something about it. So like I said, anywhere in the country where local officials are uh, doing things they shouldn't be doing and going too far, um, there should be everything from lawsuits to public protest to um, claims, uh, publicity, and it, to stuff in the media to criticize those officials. Can you hear me? Yes, I can hear you now. It just oh, kind of okay. went dead. 
Yeah, I think we lost Annie. <laughs> but I'm the co-host. I'm the one who called you. So go ahead and continue uh, where you were before we dropped out. Well, I guess I would just say that, um, look, what's going on now is a balancing act. Uh, on the one hand, you know, certain measures have to be taken to try to stop the spread of uh, of the virus, things like, you know, the president properly, you know, restricted travel from China, he restricted uh, travel from Europe, where apparently the, uh, the infectious, infection rate is higher than here. But... Um, state and local officials who do things like prevent uh, churches from holding services, whether it's drive-in services or services where they are following the same safety rules that grocery stores and other places that are allowed to stay open. You know, if they're following those safety protocols, why should they not be able to hold uh, church services? Um, officials that are doing that uh, need to be held, account, uh, held to account for it. And quite frankly, you know, if there are local officials that are doing things like this, like the mayor of Louisville, Kentucky, who a federal wow. court ordered to stop his behavior, um, you know, one of the great things we have in this country are elections, everything from recall elections to running somebody against a local sheriff or a local mayor who acted wrongly uh, during this COVID crisis. And I agree um, at the onset when, People were trying to um, follow all the, you know, recommendations as far as, you know, spacing and things like that. And there was one church um, pastor who held service in a parking lot, and um, the cars were parked, you know, a, a good distance from each other. And right. people stayed in their cars, and he still was um, harassed by local um, politicians and, and law enforcement. And uh, it just seems to be, you know, really strange that they can select who can operate in such circumstances and who cannot. Now, I do remember um, the Attorney General Barr saying that, you know, the Justice Department was really monitoring, you know, these these, um, states and counties to see if there's any constitutional violations. I'm not sure if he's going to act on any of those, but the thing is, well, he already, we, do, he, he we has, can't take He has already. Okay. They have already. Um, um, to just give you a quick example. Uh, yeah. There was a church in Virginia that was uh, planning on having uh, church services, and um, they were doing everything that they were supposed to do. You know, it was going to be a very small group of people in a room that could hold something like 200 people. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Everyone was going to be spread out. They were going to do, uh, you know, sanitization and all that. And they were warned that they would be arrested and fined for doing that. And a lawsuit was filed, and the U.S. Justice Department came into the lawsuit, filed what's called a statement of interest on the side of the church. Uh, Annie's kind of back. Not not exactly, but to kind of back. My main computer that I run the the video and audio through crashed, so I'm using a phone line right at the moment, trying to get myself back in. <laughs> so <laughs> this is this is live radio, folks. You never know what's going to happen here. <laughs> so, well, hopefully yeah. it wasn't. Uh, hopefully it wasn't the uh, local mayor or somebody like that, local sheriff or mayor 
wherever you are thinking, well, I don't like them uh, criticizing <laughs> our behavior over the coronavirus, so we don't want to let we don't want to let her speak. <laughs> You Not only that, our next guest is going to be talking about China, so maybe it's the Chinese controlling my Internet. <laughs> but I, I did want to get into um, uh, General Flynn and the persecution yeah. of the uh, people that surround uh, President Trump, uh, such as Papadopoulos. We'll find out that you know he was being shadowed by an FBI uh Age undercover agent who happened to have been a f- alleged friend, and some of the stories that are starting to come out about what the investigations were doing through the FBI under Mueller and Comey. Uh, this this can't be all legal stuff that the FBI did. Someone's got to answer for this. Well, yes, and remember, uh, John Durham, who is a U.S. attorney, uh, has now for what over more than a year been investigating. All of that, including uh, everyone involved in the uh, uh, Trump Trump Russia uh, investigation, which uh, all of which turned out, you know, the collusion claim turned out to be a hoax. Uh, I mean, look, he's looking at that, and his um, investigation has expanded quite a bit. We know from from reports. So, you know, hopefully, at some point, he's going to come out with probably a report and or possible indictments. But um, on the Flynn case, you know, what happened yesterday was that uh, the U.S. Justice Department filed a motion to dismiss the case. And they've been getting a lot of unfair criticism today, particularly from people on, on the left, uh, that is just totally wrong. Uh, look, I've read the 20-page motion to dismiss. And if you read it, uh, you come away just shocked at the misbehavior of at the FBI and the prosecutors at the Justice Department who pursued this case. Because what is very clear was that, first of all, the FBI had no evidence to justify any kind of investigation of Michael Flynn. None whatsoever. That's, that's very clear. Second, um, the prosecutors pursued this case despite the fact that there was no evidence uh, to justify even the initial investigation. And they acted uh, unethically and unprofessionally, the prosecutors did, because um, under Supreme Court precedent, prosecutors have to turn over to defendants any exculpatory evidence that they have. In other words, any evidence that prosecutors have that show the potential innocence, they have to turn it over to uh, the defendants and their lawyers and what's been coming out now for weeks uh, are all these pieces of exculpatory evidence that were never turned over to uh, Michael Flynn or his uh, defense counsel. And that in itself, that kind of misbehavior, too, justifies um, dismissing this case. So, you know, finally, justice is being served the way it should be. But up until now, it's pretty clear, like I said, reading that motion. This was a partisan political witch hunt against Flynn. It's, it's not, not just even. It, it's, it's also, also against. against um, um, sorry about that. Uh, also against uh, KT McFarland, um, Bob Gates, uh, Roger Stone, Jerome Corsi, and the list goes on about the number of people that they have persecuted. There's no other way to explain it or describe it. 
Well, unfortunately, yeah, there are many instances of what's not only uh, politically motivated uh, prosecutions, but politically motivated decisions not to prosecute. And probably the worst example of that is uh, James Comey deciding that they would not um, prosecute Hillary Clinton for her mishandling of classified uh, documents and materials. And there is no question that she broke federal law uh, in the way she mishandled those classified documents. There is no reason for her not to have been prosecuted other than who she was and the fact that I think Comey hoped that she would get elected and he would continue to be the head of the FBI because other federal employees who've engaged in exactly the same type of behavior as Hillary Clinton have been prosecuted in the past. So that kind of selective prosecution is also something that should not happen in the United States. What the administration did under President Obama in so many ways had broken so many laws and violated the rights of so many people. I have a hard time fathoming the extent that it went through, and yet no one is being held accountable. Yeah, I, I look, I share your frustration about that. Um, uh, all I can say is that I hope that the end result of the John Durham investigation, which is currently going on into a lot of this, uh, does result in people who broke the law uh, getting punished, like the FBI agents who lied to the FISA court when they applied for the electronic surveillance warrant that they used against Carter Page and other members of the Trump um, campaign organization. Then you had James Comey go on before a live audience on TV, and they said, well, why did you do that? He said, because under previous administrations, I couldn't, but now I couldn't get away with it. And think it's funny. To violate the right. rights of all these individuals, to violate the law, and think that you're immune from any punitive damages. Yeah, James Comey demonstrated repeatedly um, that he could not be trusted to hold the kind of position he held at the FBI. And he's totally shameless and unapologetic about his misbehavior um he should never ever again hold any position of trust um in any law enforcement agency or any other uh public office of the the u.s government um he he ought to be disqualified from doing anything like that uh because you can't trust that he won't act um in a partisan political manner or in, uh, with the objective of basically um, promoting himself. That seems to be his number one concern, not the fair administration of justice. No, fair administration of justice I don't think is even in his vocabulary. Vocabulary, um, yeah, no, I, I think you're right. <laughs> but, you know, I, I'm also looking at some of the other things that are coming up. And one of the things with this virus, um, they're talking about contact tracing. Now, 
isn't that another violation of our rights that, you know, uh, I may have been exposed and now anyone and everyone that I may have been in contact, we have to now trace. You know, just considering how far widespread this, this virus is and how many people had no ill effects, they may not have even known that they may have had the virus, isn't this stretching it? I mean, if it was something that was small, contained, you know, just a handful of people had it, but when you look at the breadth and scope and then talking about contact tracing, I have a hard time with that. Well, look, I understand your concern about it, but the, the courts in the past have, um, have up, upheld um, public health officials doing that. Look, probably the most common the most common uh, contact tracing that people probably understand is um, you know, if you contract a, a sexually transmitted disease, public health officials um, will try to do contract, uh, uh, a contact tracing in order to be able to warn and treat, you know, the other partners that you may have who you may have uh, given the disease to. And courts have pretty much upheld the, the right of uh, the public uh, health authorities to, to do that. Um, Similarly, uh, there's a very, very uh, well-known case from 1905 um, from the U.S. Supreme Court in which, look, there was a smallpox epidemic going on in Massachusetts. And so the state um, legislature passed a law requiring everyone in the state uh, to get vaccinated to prevent the smallpox uh, epidemic from spreading. And uh, some folks went to court tried to say that the state didn't have the power to do this. And the Supreme Court said, um, in this kind of an emergency situation, the state did have the right in order to try to prevent this epidemic um, from spreading of requiring vaccination. So again, you know, what the courts have said is in an, in an emergency situation, you can basically stretch, stretch the boundaries of the Constitution but only in that kind of emergency situation. When it's, once it subsides, you've got to go back uh, within the normal bounds of the Constitution. Well, my question would be then, because um, I've heard several people floating this too, but with contact uh, tracing, we can then go in and take the children out of the house, or if you happen to have the virus or whatever, we're going to take you out and isolate you. Again, isn't that arresting people? Isn't that violating their liberty? What if they have no symptoms, but they may have the virus? Are you going to turn around and tell them that, you know, instead of quarantining yourself within your own home, we're going to forcibly remove you? They committed no crime. They didn't ask well, to that, have the virus. That is, that is true. I, um, but the, the federal government under that federal statute I was talking about earlier, the one passed in World War II, does give, give the feds, and most states have similar laws, giving them the ability to quarantine you, even if you don't want to be quarantined, if you are the carrier of an infectious disease. I think where the courts would step in, though, is in the past, that has been used for really dangerous diseases. You know, I don't think anybody would argue that if you have Ebola, the Ebola virus, which has a, what, 50% fatality rate, that the state uh, 
the, the state governments, the federal government, have the right to quarantine you to prevent you from infecting others. Um, on the other hand, if states try to quarantine people because they have the flu, which, as you know, has extremely low fatality rate for, for most people, it's you know not that much worse than a cold. Uh, I think there the courts would would uh, be very um, uh, uh, they'd be very cautious in saying that they don't think that that the government has the power to quarantine you for such an undangerous disease. And now, I don't know where coronavirus falls in between those two. Huh. Well, we all have to be very careful to see what rights we are able to retain and fight to keep back, right. it back the original founding principles of the Constitution. And I know that you know you, you got short time, but I just want to make one small comment or and get a little feedback on you. I, in my lifetime, have never seen this. A unanimous Supreme Court decision was issued yesterday reversing the fraud condition convictions of two of Governor Christie's aides over bridge. Right. I have never seen a unanimous Supreme Court decision in my lifetime. Oh, no, no. There, there, are, there are many cases where they uh, rule unanimously. They just don't get a lot of, of publicity. Um, but that case, they did exactly right. Uh, look, you can complain all you want about the whole Bridgegate fiasco being dirty politics. But the idea that it was a federal crime was, was absurd. The, the, they were trying to say that these state government officials had somehow defrauded the government because of lane closures. I mean, that was, that was also one of those um, political prosecutions during the Obama administration that made no sense under the law. And, and the Supreme Court was exactly right in in throwing out that prosecution. Well, Hans, it has been a pleasure uh, speaking with you. People can find you over at Heritage. Uh, you are an authority on a wide range of issues such as civil rights and justice and the Constitution, as well as immigration. And we will welcome you back anytime you'd like to come back on, sir. And I'm sorry about sure, the technical for... difficulties, but, but I, for okay, some but reason for my computer just went... Thank you very much. Uh, check him out, Hans Von. <laughs> okay, over at Heritage, uh, we had our next guest in on the line. You know, it, I told you, Curtis, it was going to be one of those days. Uh, yeah, I, I'm I surprised. Think did it. She, she jumped up on, on the computer, and I think she trampled my keyboard and crashed my. Computer. Oh man. Anyway, we want to welcome back to the show, Mitchell Gerber. Good afternoon, Mitchell. How are you today? Hi, Annie. Nice to see you. Uh, am I coming in loud and clear? You are. You're coming in very loud and clear. You know, um, okay. you had an interesting story and journey because uh, I think you were on the show, was it that, was that two years ago or was it longer? I forget. You were on, and um, you had learned about the Fulangang, uh when you were attending college in Georgia, and it caused you to become an activist, and now you're, you've been on this Wait, 10 years now has it been that you've been uh, working to let the world know what is going on in China? 20 years. It just actually reached a 20-year anniversary about two days ago. I was 21 at that time, and now I'm 40 and a half years old, still being on the case, exposing this to the world, and still this hasn't 
reached the mainstream media and really caught the attention of the world's people yet? You know, I, I was looking at the videos and stuff that you sent me and reading the articles, and uh, nothing really has changed except it's accelerated instead of decelerated. And it seems even the coronavirus has not even tried to slow this down. You know, first off, you know, can you explain to people exactly who and what Fulangang is? Absolutely, Annie. I really appreciate being on your show with Chris because when I came on your show before, I think I must have been four or five years ago, it wasn't really still an issue. We were trying our best, the coalition, the investigators, and the team that I and have been involved with exposing this new form of evil uh, to be brought to light and now with the coronavirus, basically the Chinese Communist Party virus, that has spread to become the largest uh, 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 death um, uh, uh, virus of all time, basically, surpassing the number of deaths of the Vietnam War just in, a, in, in America alone. What is the number? It's about 70,000 people already that have been killed by this evil, uh, by this virus in, 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 uh, in, uh, in America alone, then you have other countries in the world. The people didn't understand and still don't understand really the source of where this has come. And everything, all roads, turn towards and lead from the source of the Chinese Communist Party. And with Falun Gong, uh, this spiritual mind and body practice, basically pronounced Falun Gong, consists of moral teachings and meditation, four gentle exercises that are truly unique and really any highly effective in a way to improve your health and energy levels. It became the largest spiritual type of uh, meditation, uh, type of Chinese yoga, if you would like to call it, or Tai Chi, in the entire civilization of China. The numbers grew so quickly between 1992 and 1998 that one out of every 10 Chinese national citizens folks, and I'm talking about the highest ranking officials of the Chinese government, to military generals, to soldiers, to more than half of upper class society in China, one out of 10, that was about 10% of the population, growing exponentially each and every year uh, by 1998 government estimates in China revealed between 70 and 100 million Chinese people, Chinese citizens, we're practicing this form of uh, mind and body practice, namely Falun Gong, where at the core, the values of truthfulness, compassion, and tolerance stem from. And uh, it was the fastest growing practice in China. No one in the world ever saw something as extraordinarily uh, uh, efficient in terms of health efficacy, physiological and spiritual, uh, spiritual and psychological beneficial benefits, uh, the suicide rates were going down, the mortality rates, people were living longer, even the productivity rates in the factory, because when you have a more of a moral mind or a moral heart and a, um, a, uh, a peaceful mind, your success in business, your success in relationships skyrocket psychologically. And the Chinese government even did estimates to examine the health benefits of the energy channels and blood vessels opening, which were, were very congested with, with, uh, with uh, stress, anxiety, 
all the ailments, illnesses, and injuries were vanishing. People within three or five, five months were becoming incredibly heal, uh, healed, and the organs were becoming really healthy. So the communist regime did the worst thing, started to kill hundreds and thousands of innocent Falun Gong practitioners in state-mandated hospitals, state-sanctioned, state-endorsed, and state-mandated, as I said, uh, cutting out their organs while alive and selling their organs as the healthiest organs in the world, illegally without any consent, on a legal state-sanctioned basis, still continuing in China today at the highest levels of the communist regime, and then burying the bodies to conceal the evidence and making a multi-billion dollar uh, profiteering business off them for the last 20 years. And this is what's going on for, uh, today in, in a nutshell. Well, did they start persecuting them because they were a threat to the Chinese Communist Party? You know, Annie, it's one of the largest campaigns of religious or spiritual persecution. Uh, Catholics, uh, um, Christians, Tibetans, even the Uyghur Muslims, the uh, reports that have come out of China that between one to three million Uyghur Muslims have been detained in concentration camps and data-based for organ extraction. Uh, millions of innocent Chinese people in China have been fired from their jobs, expelled from school, jailed, tortured, or killed simply for practicing Falun Gong. Um, now, the reason why, uh, there the are three reasons, is because through the, throughout the 1990s, Falun Gong garnered support from numerous Chinese government agencies as a meditation practice deemed to improve the public health and, and morality. But on July 22nd, there was a huge suppression camp campaign. Basically, what happened in, in, in Nazi Germany with the Jews, when, not, when the Nazis came into power, they created on, uh, in, uh, a situation called, uh, called Kristallnacht, where it was forbidden to be Jewish in Nazi Germany, and all Jews were rounded up and sent to ghettos and then to extermination camps. Um, so one basic explanation for the seemingly irrational campaign against Falun Gong is the nature of China's atheist and dictatorial Chinese Communist Party, which fears all kinds of groups outside of its control, particularly the ones that subscribe to a different ideology. And the second reason is that Falun Gong grew so quickly, it became the largest spiritual movement uh, that outnumbered the number of people in the Chinese Communist Party by 30 million people. So the communist regime and the president of China at that time, Jiang Zemin, who not many people know about. You've heard about Hu Jintao. You've heard about um, uh, President Xi. We haven't heard too much about Jiang Zemin, the former president of China at that time in the 1990s. He grew very hateful and very threatened that he couldn't control that many people that were overshadowing his legacy. So what he did was he established a, a 610 office, a, storm, a Nazi stormtrooper Gestapo-type office, June 10th, 1999, one month before the complete ban and, 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 and uh, 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 brutal persecution against Falun Gong, to sit on top of the Chinese communist system, which is still there today, that mandates everything into every, every, every policy of economic, social, and political reforms from the highest ranking officials to the lowest rural uh, cadres from local, state, and federal levels to do one thing and one thing only, to eradicate Falun Gong and declare war against the spiritual movement and destroy it within three months. 
and this has been going on for this campaign is going on for 20 years. So yeah, those are the three reasons because it grew so large, the stock contrast of ideology that stood in stark contrast to the killing nature and the evil nature of the Communist Party versus the good nature of Falun Gong and other spiritual practices that are, that are residing in China at this time. And because of the organ harvesting, or the organ benefits, um, seeing so much health efficacy from Falun Gong, the Communist regime outlawed it, brutally persecuted, it slandered it, demonized it as some radical, sinister CIA-backed cult just like they did with the not, with the, just like they did with uh, with uh, the Dalai Lama calling it a terrorist cult, um, to to turn public opinion against them and kill them for their organs, making massive amounts of money from their organs. Well, now does does the Falun Gong have a political agenda, or is it a religion? Exactly, where did it come from, and how did it grow so fast? Great question. Well, Falun Gong is a spiritual movement. It is, unlike monastic paths of cultivation or improvement or religious uh, uh, sects of worship, Falun Gong is practiced in society with students often getting married, raising children, just living a normal life. Some of the best business people in the world practice Falun Gong, CEOs, um, multinational corporation uh, executives. It's a very beautiful spiritual practice, a mind and body practice. You know, and I've been practicing for about over, over 15 years. It's such a beautiful mind and body practice, free of charge. And it was introduced by Mr. Lee Hong Sir, an outstanding and the most awarded uh, Qigong teacher uh, in China at that time, uh, winning many, many citations, awards, proclamations. I mean, Mr. Lee, the founder is a five-time Nobel Peace Prize nominee and has been nominated by the European Parliament for the Sakharov Prize for Freedom of Thought. He's also the recipient of the Freedom House International Religious Freedom Award. Um, he, is, uh, he was even praised by the, by, by, the, by the Chinese government. I mean, the official newspaper of China's Ministry of Public Security in 1993, uh, one year after Falun Gong was introduced into the general public of China, they praised Mr. Li for his contributions in promoting the traditional crime-fighting values of the Chinese people, in safeguarding social order and security, and in promoting rectitude of society. And even the, the Chinese officials went so far as to quantify Falun Gong's benefits, such as when one official from China's National Sports Commission, speaking with U.S. News and World Report uh, at that time, declared that Falun Gong can save each person about $250 in annual medical fees. So if 100 million people practicing that uh, practice, that's about 100 billion UN saved per year in medical fees. So it was extraordinary. I mean, this became the life force, uh, a spiritual practice, five exercises, a meditation, a truthful, compassionate, tolerant philosophy grounded in Buddhist thought and Taoist thought, overwhelmed China and the communist regime wanted them dead. They wanted, they wanted to destroy them and kill them for their organs. And this is, how it, this is what's going on today. You know, because when I'm, I was reading about the Fulang Gong when I first spoke to you, I was wondering, you know, these values are the very same values that are, are, are in our Judeo-Christian faith. The very same thing. Truthfulness, compassion, and tolerance. Just three basic principles. And then just with the exercises to make your body healthy, because the Bible and the Torah talks about cleanliness and healthiness. 
It talks about that of mind and body. So these are all compatible with any society, and yet the Chinese government fears it. And because of that, this group has been targeted for persecution. Not only that, horrendous torture. Do we know exactly how many victims have fallen under the Chinese Communist Party of the Fulangang? Do we have any sort of idea? Absolutely, and I want to get into that as well in a minute. I was wondering, is there any way you can play the, 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 some of the audio clips that I sent to you for your listeners? I'm not sure if you can. Um, but um, I, I have would that be possible? Just before you came on, just before you came on, my computer had crashed, so I have not gotten everything back up. I'm lucky I got the show back okay. up. <laughs> I'm so sure, I'm sure. I pull that up. Yeah, it's you know it just completely crashed on me, and it was not fun. That, does it usually? Does, do they usually crash like that? Does, does your shows usually crash or no. not? Not really. Okay, no, there's a no, reason no, because really. of this. You you were you were cyber attacked. That usually happens when I come on because this issue, uh, Annie, and I and I'm going to be honest with you. This is a new form of evil. This is an historic, epic unprecedented evil that is happening in China and when this is blasted wide open into the mainstream media you're going to sit back one day with your producers and your audience and you're going to be like oh my god I was in the forefront and you have been and that's why God bless you Annie because for the first time I came on your show not many people knew at all what China was about and what, what, China, who, what China was, was controlled by um, uh, by the Chinese Communist Party and your computer crashed for a reason. I knew it was going to be crashed because every time I come on shows like this, it crashes. They all get cyber hacked. The Chinese Communist Party does not want anybody to know about this. I have risked my life. I'm actually in, on the front lines of Vietnam right now. Our offices have just, just been shut down. Um, I'm risking my life. I'm 100 miles away from the Chinese border in Hanoi, Vietnam. At any time, a communist official can bust down my door uh, people and my, fa- my my family has been threatened. My colleagues have been arrested and killed. So this is the reason why your f- I have no doubt that your your show has been ca- has been crashed. If you're telling me that nothing has ever happened to your show like this, um, so um, they don't want this to come out. So sorry about that, but this usually happens when I come on. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. I'm locked and loaded here. I'm locked and loaded here. Don't worry about that. Which clip did you want me to play? Um, the first one, if you could be so kind. All right. Uh, this is the Fulangang persecution. And let it get keyed up. All right. And here we go. Falangong is a traditional practice of self-cultivation, a practice of slow-moving exercises, meditation, and studying of the principles of truthfulness, compassion, and tolerance, and trying to adopt those into your life. While morning exercises had always been popular in China, Falun Gong brought more than just health benefits. For thousands of years, the Chinese people have believed in Buddhas and Taoists and becoming an immortal. Falun Gong really dared to talk about these things. And immediately, people took it to heart. Oh, the true ancient good things of China have come back. However, After 50 years of political campaigns to destroy traditional beliefs, any revival of spirituality was seen as a threat to communist rule. Since I was 11, I experienced all of the Chinese Communist Party's campaigns. 
group after group of good people were targeted. There was no faith, no truth. Falun Gong stood in stark contrast with communist ideology. So it would be very hard for it to be tolerated by the CCP. With more practitioners than members in the Communist Party, the party chief, Jiang Zemin, saw it as a threat to his power and overruled the government's support of Falun Gong. Jiang Zemin issued the order, set up special office called Sixth Office, in charge of nationwide campaign of persecution. Known as China's Gestapo, the Sixth Hand Agency was above the law and could use any and all means necessary to achieve its sole mission to eliminate Falun Gong. The nationwide campaign began July 1999. People were disappearing. I couldn't find my friends. You know, one day there were 30 of us in the park, and the next day they're gone. And in the middle of the park, tacked on the tree, was a government declaration. This has been outlawed. First time I heard about the persecution, I didn't believe it. And the first. And when I heard uh, my mother was into the camp, I was very worried. And later on, my sister was put in the level camp. My uh, younger brother was put into jail. Basically, my family just tore apart. When this family tore apart, I feel inside tore apart. Outside the labor camps, propaganda campaigns against Falun Gong were running 24-7 on all media. Like, you turn on the TV, and literally, the only way to describe it is propaganda marathon. You'd have mass book burnings organized by the party, steamrollers going over Falun Gong cassette tapes and CDs. Essentially, it's a process of demonizing and dehumanizing, you know, incessant propaganda. In January 2001, Chinese Central Television broadcast this news that people were setting themselves on fire in Tiananmen Square and they claimed that these were Falun Gong practitioners. This propaganda story used a mother and her 12-year-old daughter. It was a major turning point in the CCP's campaign. They turned Tiananmen Square into a movie set and they used movie techniques to try to create something, but it was staged. Because state-run media broadcast it constantly for a year, People around China, their views on Falun Gong started to change. Initially, the Communist Party was very public about uh, its campaign against Falun Gong. But what happened after Bao, he started from 2002, is that you started to see really almost more of a media blackout. Falun Gong simply became a taboo topic. With millions of practitioners in detention, one of the worst crimes in history began taking place in hospitals throughout the country as organ transplants suddenly began to skyrocket. We've been asked to investigate allegations that uh, there has been harvesting of organs of Falun Gong in China. Our bottom line conclusion after considering everything as best we could was that the allegations are true. I began conducting comprehensive interviews with medical professionals, Chinese law enforcement personnel, and over 50 refugees from the Laogai system. But I estimate that 65,000 Falun Gong were murdered for their organs from 2000 to 2008. Essentially what organ harvesting means is they're taking Falun Gong practitioners literally like cattle, holding in prison camps, testing their blood and other vital organs, and when someone comes into the country that needs a heart, a liver, a kidney, they find a match, they take the Falun Gong practitioner, extract their organs, of course killing them in the process, 
listening unbelievable, to that. Unbelievable, Yeah, it, it is unbelievable. And as I was listening to that, I was thumbing through something I had printed out, uh, an investigation of, I cannot pronounce these names, Lee Gawe, a kidney transplant surgeon at Zening uh, Hospital, the fourth military medical university. And the investigator, you know, pretending to be someone else looking for a kidney uh, for a transplant, and you go through the transcript, and it is bone-chilling how dispassionate, and it's just a simple business transaction. There's no humans involved in this, no compassion, nothing. It is just a business transaction, and the kidney can go for 800000 to a million, no problem, uh, if you don't mind the age of the person. Uh, but if you want something, you know, younger, it'll take us a little bit longer. But maybe we'll check with Beijing or we'll check over here. We'll see if we can find someone. How many of these concentration prison camps, slave labor camps, you want to, whatever you want to call them, are there that are holding these people? Did I lose you, Mitch? Hi, Annie. Did I get yes, knocked out again? Sorry. Yes, I'm okay, here. Okay, I thought for a second I got attacked again. <laughs> yes, I'm here. No, 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 you are, you are, we're, we're here. Uh, in 2001, and the next clip I'd love you to play, clip two, are from the investigators who I brought as a, on a coalition mission to Westminster Abbey with me last year. Last year. In 2001, there, have, there were confirmed allegations, uh, the allegations of forced organ harvesting confirmed by David Kilgore and David Mattis. These two gentlemen from Canada, and I hope you can have them on your show. I can uh, arrange that very easily with you uh, at the end of the show, if you'd like. They two, uh, these two gentlemen, the former Secretary of State to the Asian Affairs of the Canadian Parliament, David Kilgore and David Mattis, a 35-year international human rights lawyer, both of them Nobel Peace Prom- uh, Prize nominees, by the way, confirmed the allegations of forced live organ harvesting in 18 hardcore pieces of evidence that between 2001 and 2006, over between 45 to 65,000 Falun Gong practitioners were harvested for their organs. Basically, their organs were cut out of their bodies while alive, while alive. So the transplantation surgery is the actual murderer. Murder. The doctors have turned into murders, murderers, uh, and then extracting the organs, removing the skin, the, pan- the, the corneas, the pancreas, the livers, the hearts, uh, to uh, uh, fuel a state-sanctioned, state-endorsed, and state-mandated legal organ harvesting business run by the Chinese military and the highest-ranking officials, President Xi, President Jiang Zemin, and other communist cadres, even to the state, ramping up now uh, due to the coronavirus infecting the rich Chinese communist cadres in China, where their lungs are being replaced by Falun Gong lungs. So there are about 250 concentration camps, 36 death camps, and it's been estimated that about more than 800 hospitals in China had organ transplantation facilities and had had completed about 160,000 kidney transplantations, 36,000 liver transplantations, and 120 cornea transplantations. And might I add, before I would love you to play the second clip, just to give your uh, audience a true confirmation. They will blow their minds because a lot of people think, oh, well, is this is really going on? Is this really, really going on? And how do you know? And how do you know? And isn't, you know, this has been done in other countries. And of course it is. 
but not on such a scale and scope and magnitude as it has been done by the Chinese government. No other country in the world legally state-sanctioned where you can pick out a lobster, like a, pick out a, a Falun Gong practitioner within a matter of hours, Annie, on a specified day, just like a lobster in a restaurant, in a grotesque restaurant, taking a lobster out of a tank, cutting it open, and then selling its organs. And as you were mentioning about the doctor, uh, from October 19th to December 2nd, the World Organization to Investigate the Persecution of Falun Gong conducted a series of phone investiga investigations on some key hospitals and their presidents or directors which have been involved in the Chinese Communist Party's live organ harvesting from Falun Gong petitioners. An investigation concluded that over seven, in 17 telephone investigation reports published uh, involved 12 hospitals. Now, there's only there's, there's over 18, right? This is only from 12 hospitals in major cities of 11 provinces and central government direct-controlled municipalities that the individuals investigated are all presidents or directors of top-level organ transplant hospitals in China, and many are responsible for state-level projects in the field of organ transplantation, as well as national and provincial level technical experts, and some are even in charge of organizations dedicated to persecute Falun Gong. And this has been going on uh, for the last 20 years, like I said. So um, the investigative individuals have affirmed the answers. Yes, yes, right, we've got plenty of organs, no problem, right, this is for sure, no problem. Let's discuss it after you come. Basically, have outright shared testimony from the investigative reports that have been recorded to this day, still have been recorded and are translated, and are being translated uh, right now in the process as we speak to confirm that the doctors are turning, uh, the communist regime are turning their doctors into murderers and cutting the organs out of falling on petitioners. So without further ado, Anya, I would love if you can play the clips too from David Kilgore and David Mattis reports and Ethan Gutman as well. Okay, hang on a second. It's bringing it up, and just bear with me, and here we go. Uh, a rather upsetting issue, uh, allegations that uh, have uh, repeatedly been aired that China uh, plays a part in harvesting organs, uh, mainly of executed prisoners. Um, the numbers run to thousands every year. Uh, the uh, organs then get sold on for transplants. Um, it's always been vehemently denied by the Chinese government. But here in Britain, representatives of a campaign called Forced Organ Harvesting have been looking at the issue, and they've gone as far as presenting their latest findings to the British Parliament. Two representatives join us here in the studio. Welcome to David Kilgore, former member of the Canadian Parliament, and Ethan Goodman, uh, author of several books on China, who've both been involved in the investigations, are here to tell us a little bit more. Uh, David uh, Kilgore, if I could start with you, um, what are the latest findings of your investigation? What are you closing in on? Uh, that about well, about 65,000 Falun Gong practitioners have been killed and their organs trafficked. Uh, there are other people too, uh, convicted prisoners uh, are, are killed, of course, but uh, the thing that we're focusing on is the Falun Gong community. My, my colleague Ethan Gutman has, has done a lot of work on the Uyghur community. He'll probably want to say something about that. But yeah, there, there's no doubt. We have 
52 kinds of evidence that this is uh, this is happening. To give you the easiest example, uh, uh, the wife of a surgeon told us that her husband had removed the corneas from 2,000 Falun Gong practitioners in a two-year period. So, I mean, there's absolutely no doubt in anybody's mind. We've written, we've got two books on it, we've got all kinds of... And these, here. just to clarify, these come after judicial execution? No, there's no judicial involvement in virtually all of the Falun Gong. That's the thing that nobody understands. Okay, right. So we better clarify this because we often cover the fact that China, of course, has one of the highest rates of execution, yeah. judicial execution. It's their choice. That's what yeah. they do. Uh, and they're always there in the top three, along with yeah. Saudi Arabia and yeah. Iran. But yeah. this is something different. Exactly. It's because a police signature is all you need to get sent to a forced labor camp. And then basically what happens is somebody from, it could be London, it could be Canada, goes over there for a liver. And uh, they uh, there's a computer bank and it says there's a match for, for you out in camp number 50. And somebody's dragged out of the cap number 50 into an operating room. Their liver is taken out of them. It's flown to Shanghai where you're probably waiting for your liver. And you come back to London with a new liver. And somebody has been killed like a, a lobster in a grotesque restaurant. Hang on a minute. So you're not even saying, because, I mean, it's one issue, the judicial executions and the use of the cadaver, mm -hmm. uh, which I suppose in a certain legal sense is the property of the state once the state has mm -hmm. killed the individual. But you're saying these are people being killed to order. <laughs> Precisely. And it's, it's, it's so, as you say, your horror shows how, how uh, distressing it is. But yet it never gets mentioned uh, that these are people who've been maybe giving out pamphlets asking them to stop killing Pelagong, and they're, they're guilty of nothing. The allegation and, and our finding are shocking. I mean, uh, to us, uh, it, this is a, a form of uh, evil. Sorry about that. I accidentally hit the wrong thing. I apologize for that, Matt. Uh, Mitch. My bad. I don't know if I oh, can Oh, no get problem. Back. Don't worry. That was no, David Kilgore and David... Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. That was David Kilgore and David Mattis, ladies and gentlemen. And any, um, as you heard, there's over 52 pieces of evidence. Ethan Gutman um, is also a China investigator, and he wrote the book, The Slaughter, all this evidence can be read and confirmed by your listeners if they would like to read at endtransplantabuse.org. And um, the, uh, the, the, Ethan Gutman basically was interviewed as well, and he, was, he shared about how, what, you know, he, he was asked by the, by the reporter, what was your reaction when you heard the reports of organ harvesting? Uh, Ethan Gutman joined the forces of David Kilgore and David Mattis. That interview that you heard on the BBC that I, we just played was in 2014. That was between uh, 45 and 65,000 following long practitioners per year. Now the numbers have increased steadily to at least 80,000 and up to 100,000 following long practitioners per year being harvested for their organs. 95% of the organs have come from Falun Gong practitioners and others from Uyghur Muslims, House Christians, and Tibetan Buddhists. And when Ethan Gutman, uh, also a Nobel Peace Prize nominee, and the man who wrote The Slaughter, which can be bought on Amazon or also read at endtransplantabuse.org, uh, he was asked, what was your reaction, Annie, when you heard the reports of organ harvesting? He said, skeptical. I'm always skeptical when I'm on the threshold of a new investigation. Uh, and this was in 2015 when he was uh, um, uh, asked this. And he, uh, he was asked, well, what changed your mind? And Mr. Ethan Gutman said, the Kilgore-Mattis report. Now, that was from David Kilgore and David Mattis uh, in 2006. 
the phone calls he mentioned into Chinese hospitals, and as I've just shared with you on the World Health Organization, World Organization to investigate the persecution of Falun Gong, over 17 investigators, investigations from only 12 hospitals out of the 800 to 1400 hospitals in China alone and 250 uh, concentration camps that are uh, killing and forcefully, brutally persecuting Falun Gong practitioners. But he said, continued that one of my first subjects was a peasant woman, a Falun Gong practitioner who had done serious time in a labor camp, along with detailed accounts of torture. She briefly mentioned a physical exam. Yet under intense questioning, the exams sounded like it was administered in a hospital turned upside down. The only possible medical rationale was to assess whether she could be exploited for her kidneys, her liver, her corneas, and perhaps her heart, the retail organs, uh, which basically go for the corneas go for $30,000, lungs go for $150,000 to $170,000, kidneys $62,000, kidneys and pancreas together $150,000, livers ninety-eight dollars to $100,000 to $130,000. And he continued, um, uh, Ethan Gutman, in, in, in saying how that the you know, the, uh, uh, meanwhile, she had been tortured, for God's sake. Her beliefs had been jeered and mocked, her family ruined. Why was this stupid white guy so interested in the blood tests? She did not recognize the physical examination as having any importance. Of course, to me, as Ethan Gutman shared, this was investigative catnip. And if I, just, just to mention, Annie, that I uh, brought Dr. Enver Totti, who in 1995 did a forced organ harvesting on a prisoner of conscience. To this day, he still does not know if it was a Tibetan, a Christian, a Muslim, or a Falun Gong. And he shared with us in his testimony how he would go to the different mosques, synagogue, uh, a church, or pagoda to pray for this innocent victim that he was forced to do a, fo a forced organ harvesting on at the behest of the communist regime. And um, he actually showed us vivid depictions of harvesting of children and trafficking of children uh, 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 um, body parts, as well as forced blood testing, basically the communist regime forcing people to stand in huge waiting lines outside of hospitals to get their blood tested in order for organ extraction. So this is a forced organ process in China going on as we speak under our noses uh, uh, in, in, inside the realms of the largest militarized zone, the second largest economy, the one of the, the number one you know fur trade uh, uh, um, uh, importers and exporters of fur trade. I mean those who have dogs and cats, and we, we, we are, are, are chilled to the bone to realize that. Dogs and cats are boiled, boiled alive in, in, in cauldrons. I mean, the fur trade is out of control. Um, they are killing children. They are killing, harvesting Falun Gong practitioners for their organs, their own citizens, and selling them back to their own citizens. This virus now that has been unleashed on the world, Annie, has now intensely brought concern to the world's community, where before that, they didn't even want to touch China because people were making a fortune. The Wall Street bankers... The World Health Organization, the Vatican, the, uh, the Henry Kissingers of the world, the Rockefellers of the world, the big, the deep state, as we've talked about, that are, that's going against our own, uh, our, our own republic, infiltrating 
uh, our democracy and our constitutional values with communism and radical cultural Marxism and trying to tear away the fabric of our great America that I am so grateful to be an American citizen and part of. This is all coming and stemming from communist China. And now 70,000 Americans, Annie, have been killed. That's more than the Vietnam War combined. 50,000 American, beautiful American boys, men, were killed in Vietnam. As I am here right now, after the, after the fall of Saigon, there, more, more, more death has been, has been occurred by the, because of the Chinese Communist Party covering up and lying and colluding with the Communist Health Organization and the World uh, Monetary Fund and the International Bank and the, and the United Nations and Bill Gates and, 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 and other countries in around the world to conceal the evidence and to conceal the human-to-human transmission that was being uh, covered up and lied about in earlier December 2019, they all knew about it. And, and if I may add, the Wuhan virus that has been unleashed from a bioweapons lab, a BLS, BSL-4 lab. So they've been covering up everything, everything. So uh, this is where we are right now in the state of affairs. Mitchell, no, it's funny I have a question for you. I had... Go ahead, Curtis. Okay. Uh, I was just curious if... Um... How much of a impact this coronavirus or Chinese um, um, flu has had on Taiwan? You know, that's a great question because I don't know if you saw the viral sense video where a Taiwanese woman asked one of the World Health Organization, I call it the Communist Health Organization's puppets, Bruce someone, so-and-so, and he uh, as you can see in the video, he, she asked, why hasn't Taiwan been allowed to be admitted to the World Health Organization? Why have they been deliberately kept out? And he wouldn't answer her question. He ignored her and then put the phone down. She called back and he wouldn't answer it. Now, Taiwan has the lowest death rate of all countries in this world, period. And this is a fact if you look at all the numbers. However, the communist regime has been praised for their low numbers but yet they have the death rate i mean i'm living, uh, the death rate in china is horrendous they've been burning bodies in 50 co- uh, uh, incarceration ovens for the last three or four or five months at least since since december three, at least three or four months and taiwan has had the lowest so we should learn from taiwan why they have had such an extraordinary uh, success in, in the low death rate but because of the uh, the hong kong protests because Taiwan is this little country that dares to stand up against uh, uh, the, the Chinese red dragon, the wicked scoundrel regime or the communist regime. And because the World Health Organization, with what a beauty that guy is, Tedros, the, the, the security general, they have been, out, they have been uh, uh, barred from the World Health Organization. And I might add, Curtis, is that, the, uh, the, uh, that the Taiwan was actually one of the first countries to ban organ tourism from China as well, knowing about the Falun Gong, because the majority of Falun Gong practitioners are also residing in Taiwan. First came Israel with their transplantation law of 2008, barring any Israeli citizens from going into China to get any organs after hearing about the forced live organ harvesting of Falun Gong. Then came Taiwan, then came Spain. But yeah, uh, to answer your question, they have been barred and uh, they have the lowest death rate. So why wouldn't President Trump and the other governing bodies around the world listen to Taiwan, but yet they don't. 
they've been colluding with the communist regime. Not that Trump has, and God bless, say what you want to say about Trump, but he has halted funding to the World Health Organization because he knows that they are colluding with the Chinese Communist Party. You know, I had pulled up the statistics off of the FulanInfo.net website, and um, as early as, I'm sorry, I shouldn't say early, as late as June of last year, an independent tribunal in London chaired by Sir Geoffrey Nice, who worked at the International Tri- Criminal Tribunal, led the prosecution of Slobodan Mislovic. Uh, he released a conclusion, summary judgment, and it states, Forced organ harvesting has been committed for years throughout China in a significant scale, and that Fulangang practitioners have been the one and probably the main source of organ supply. The tribunal has no evidence that the significant infrastructure associated with China's transplant industry has been dismantled, and absent a satisfactory explanation as to the source of readily available organs, concludes that forced organ harvesting continues till today. And there is now in China about approximately 200,000 underground printing houses that are doing a nonviolent grassroots resistance and trying to get the word out. There's tons of evidence all over the place, but mainstream media doesn't want to talk about it. But as you said, the Trump regime is fully aware of what's going on because our U.S. ambassador, uh, Sam Brownback, he's the U.S. ambassador at large for International Religious Freedoms, spoke at CPAC about this. Uh, So I know that my own uh, senator is aware of it. There are movements throughout the world of citizens trying to get our governments to do something about the genocide that is taking place against the Fulangang, against Christians, against the Muslims, against government dissidents. And really, no one wants to talk about it because China is such an economic giant. 100%. I couldn't agree more. And I really hope even the assistant to the president, Peter Navarro, he's written books. Um, you know, the senators know, the, the, the Congress of the United States, our own House of Representatives has passed resolutions to urge the Chinese Communist Party to stop persecuting Falun Gong. Um, and still because there's so much money involved i mean this is a multi-billion dollar organ harvesting business annie where uh, i mean the amount of money that is being paid uh, is, is unbelievable and so people have just kept quiet and if, if you don't mind that the third clip is from edward mcmillan scott the, the former vice president of the european parliament uh, that says a greater, creates a great account of what is actually going on. And if you could play uh, that clip, uh, I would, it would be a great insight to your listeners as well. I've got it all queued up. Here you go. Oh, now it's saying there's a problem playing the audio file. Now my other computer is it's attacked. I can't believe it. Yeah, absolutely. Me, I thought you. One more time. Sure. I had, this has been an interesting day. Thank you very much indeed, Peter. Um, I uh, wrote a report on EU-China relations uh, in 1996-7 for the Foreign Affairs Committee and returned to Beijing in 2006, where I met uh, ex-prisoners of conscience, Falun Gong practitioners, 
as well as uh, made contact with a number of other dissidents and reformers. All the Chinese with whom I had contact were then imprisoned and in some cases, like Gao Zhisheng, tortured. Gao Zhisheng is a Christian human rights lawyer, very, very well known in China, who investigated the persecution of Falun Gong and wrote reports about it. And one of the people I met, Cao Dong, who had been in prison, told me the story about how his best friend had disappeared one evening from the cell in their prison. And the next time he saw him, it was his body in the prison hospital with holes where body parts had been extracted. The belief that I have, and I share with David Kilgore, that organ harvesting is widespread in China and it is restricted almost exclusively to Falun Gong practitioners. The only prisoners in China who are routinely blood tested and blood pressure tested are Falun Gong practitioners. The organ transplant industry is in the hands of the military. The People's Liberation Army is responsible for the uh, hospitals, the transportation of body parts, and the sale of them. It is therefore a governmental activity and constitutes genocide under Article 2 of the Genocide Convention. It is as serious as that. And my final word is, with respect to you, Peter, the Falun Gong art of the Chinese regime of today, what the Jews were to the Nazis during the war. And we should all take note of this and look at China with new eyes. The European Parliament uh, comes from a very diverse background. And as Peter has already said, even within this quite straightforward resolution, there are still problems because the absolute deluge of propaganda from the regime in Beijing vilifying Falun Gong as some sort of extremist cult. Now, I've met, as I said, hundreds of members of Falun Gong. It is not a sect. It is not a cult. There is no money involved. There is no uh, brainwashing. All the normal characteristics of a cult simply don't exist. These are people who practice their uh, spiritual exercises uh, on their own. And yet, as I said, because between 70 and 100 million people in 1999 were practicing Falun Gong, this was seen by Jiang Zemin, then the, the, the leader of the Communist Party, as a threat to his own position. It wasn't, of course, but he saw the opportunity of creating an enemy within. Just as during the war, the Nazis singled out the Jews as a special character, characteristic and did what they did to the Jews. The same is happening today, today to Falun Gong in China. That is why it is genocide. That's why I say it's so serious. As to whether we can convey this, to all the members of the European Parliament, it's quite difficult. It is quite difficult, but we're trying. And that's what this press conference is about. There'll be other activities today and beyond. Uh, I will maintain my campaign, especially until the people I had contact with are released from prison. On the question of um, Manfred Novak and his reports and his attempts to try and get to the truth about the situation in China, he's told me that he believes that uh, more than two thirds of the prisoners in China, in re-education through labor or forced labor camps, are Falun Gong practitioners. That is a huge number of people. Now, at the end of the Kilgamesis report, you will see a list of more than 3,000 Falun Gong practitioners who have died under torture. To the regime, those are wasted people, but nevertheless, they have died under torture in the prison camps. I've met hundreds of Falun Gong who have been through this terrible process of escalating torture. Uh, I believe that we should 
in Europe now set up. Something like happened in West Germany during the Cold War at Selsgitter, where an impunity index was maintained of confidential denunciations from East Germany under communist rule against torture and maltreatment. And after reunification, a number of prosecutions followed of those people. And what we need in, 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 in the world today is an impunity index maintained at an international level, in my view, by the EU in conjunction with the International Criminal Court, so that people in China or other countries where there's repression may make confidential denunciations and having talked to ex-prisoners, they tell me that the one thing that gave them some hope was that one day the torturers would be brought to account. Now, in the report of David Kilgore, David Matus, those 3,000 Falun Gong practitioners who've died, in those cases, it has been established where they were arrested, where they were imprisoned, who did the torture, that is listed. And that's a fundamental point. And we should never, ever give up on the idea that one day justice will be done. Thank you. So as you can see, Annie, these are the reports. Sorry about that. I forgot to put my microphone back on. I'm talking away a mile a minute to an empty microphone. My bad. Uh, but the, I'm looking at the clock. We're down to our last 10 minutes. And one important thing I want to make with you, Mitch, is that the level of the propaganda machine the Chinese have ramped up worldwide to discredit the Fulong Gang, to make them to demonize them, to dehumanize them. Uh, they've, they've done it with the uh, Muslims. They're doing it with these church, these uh, underground Christian church, uh, home churches, but nothing close to the scale of what they're doing with the Fulang Gang. And, and, and people are dismissing it as a quack practice. Yeah, absolutely. It's shocking. I have been on the front lines for 40 years. And, you know, these, uh, there was a great uh, series, and people can see it at endtransplantabuse.org. The Roundtable Coalition, it's a four-part series, and all the investigators get together around the table, including Matthew Robinson, an award-winning investigative journalist from the Epoch Times out of New York City, and Anastasia Lin, who is Miss World Canada, and she was barred from the, um, the uh, Chinese uh, Miss World pageant because she practices Falun Gong. So she used her crown as a Miss World pageant uh, uh, con uh, contender barred from China to expose this. And um, the absolute deluge, as you said, as you heard from uh, uh, Edward McMillan Scott, the European Vice President, uh, three-time uh, former, that the, the, the propaganda, the weaponized, demonized propaganda calling Falun Gong a sinister cult, a CIA bat cult, uh, is, is absurd. I mean, there's no evidence whatsoever from any cult expert, um, uh, any, anyone that has uh, um, come out and legally and honestly shared that this is some kind of uh, sinister cult. I've practiced Falun Gong. I know many people have practiced Falun Gong. It's a very sp simple movement. There's no money involved. There's no dogma. There's no forcing of, your, of, of, of you out of your families and, and into some kind of commune. You can practice if you want to. If you don't want to practice anymore, you don't like it, you're free to go. There's nothing cultish about it. There's no characteristics. But yet... The absolute propaganda 
and it's about a billion dollars a year that has been spent by the communist regime to bribe officials around the world, demonize Falun Gong. As you were hearing in the first clip um, from the documentary Hard to Believe, is a free documentary, by the way. If you just go to Hard to Believe uh, movie or documentary on YouTube, you can watch it. The constant brainwashing, demonized and weaponized brainwashing on all centralized television in China for years, poisoning the minds of the Chinese, Chinese people, and then setting up a self-immolation process uh, or, or, or staged self-immolation incident, demonizing Falun Gong, incessantly has given rise to this poisoning of the minds of the Chinese people, just like the Nazis did with the Jews, just like they've done with the Dalai Lama, calling him a, a radical cult me, le, le, member and killing how many countless people, countless Tibetans, um, but the world is waking up, and now the world is seeing the vampiric nature of the Chinese Communist Party affecting them on their doorsteps with this Communist Chinese Party virus. This is not a, this is not a racist virus. This is not a Chinese virus or an African virus. Oh, by the way, look what's going on with the Africans mistreated all over the world in uh, in China. How they how they. How they you want to talk about racist, how the Chinese Communist Party are committing racist acts towards African Americans and Africans in, uh, in, in China and also uh, uh, in Vietnam, by the way, but more in China. But yeah, there's absolutely no doubt, uh, Annie, that this kind of uh, propaganda is coming to a head. They can't hide it anymore. I mean, the communist regime has said that they've banned the one-child policy of killing millions of innocent Chinese girls. Nonsense. They have banned organ tourism. Nonsense. This is, that, 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 that even the virus did not even originate from China, and the communist regime is the one that should pave the way in bringing the world a better day because they've got the least amount of deaths. This is absolutely absurd. I mean, it's ridiculous. And then banning, as Curtis was talking about uh, with, with Taiwan, this country that actually has the lowest death rate in the world with the coronavirus, actually it's the CCP virus, and uh, being barred from the World Health Organization because they're in bed with the Communist Party. It's insane. Yeah, I wish we had more time because I really did want to get to Anastasia's uh, clip also. Because that was heart-wrenching. She played the character of one of these Fulongong members that was about ready to be on the operating table. You know, the fear, knowing that the end is near, knowing that your body parts are going to be taken, forcibly taken from you and sold to someone else. Your life is forfeit because someone wants an extra yen in their pocket. Mitch, it has been a pleasure, and I do have to get you back on. There's so much more, and I really do want people to understand the seriousness of this, uh, because now even an American citizen had his family kidnapped, and he has no idea whatever happened to them. They could be also victims of organ harvesting. You hear story after story, you know, of the torture, people being submerged in sewage, put into a cage and then submerged in sewage, and bamboo poles are used to keep them only just their head above water, tortured fingernails pulled out with bamboo uh, uh, sticks and people being hit with you know electronic devices that you know stun them enough to make you feel like you're having a major heart attack or someone stabbed you you know being burned with hot irons and these people are making it out of china and the story is starting to hit the world and we've got to start somewhere and getting a more national voice out there 
Even Forbes magazine carried an article highlighting the torture and organ harvesting at Forbes magazine. So we, we know what's going on. We just got to get mainstream media to wake up. And I don't know what it's going to take, but if you have people like Bloomberg who have investments in China but also controlling a media outlet, it's going to be a hard road to walk up. Absolutely, Eniak. And I take my hat off to you. Such a courageous person you are. And I, God bless you and your producer and your wonderful people who have lent their ears tonight because God knows how long I'll be alive for exposing this. I hope more. And uh, the great parliamentarian Edmund Burke once said that the only thing necessary for the triumph of evil is for good men to do nothing. So I would love people, if they could, Read the reports, end at endtransplantabuse.org and stoporganharvesting.org. Re, uh, try and consider learning the Falun Gong exercises free of charge and check out for yourself. There's nothing wrong. And it's a protection of also immunity against this evil virus that has been spreading from China at falundafa.org and as you've mentioned, faluninfo.net. But thank you, Annie. God bless. And I would love to come back on your show and I'll bring the investigators as well anytime. But thank you so much for letting me share with you about Falun Gong and thank you so much for helping me out. Take care. Well, I'm, I'm the producer. I'm the producer and host. I'm chief cook and bottle washer. But, you know, I do yeah. like the saying um, that I, I love to do is the hottest places in hell are reserved for those who, in times of great moral crisis, maintain their neutrality. That was from Dante. So I uh, stay safe and keep up the fight, Mitch. And we, I will be talking with you. I'll send you an email. And let's get you rescheduled with your uh, other experts and get more word out there. And maybe even give you a lot more time because I'm looking at the stack of papers that I pulled out. I've gone through less than half just discussing this subject with you. Oh, Thank yeah, you, Andy. God bless I have some questions too, but we'll do it next time. Thank you, Curtis. All Thank right. you, guys. Thank you so much. I, okay, bye bye. All right. And you can follow Mitch by going to Twitter. His handle in Twitter is truthseeker077. Also, check out the website stoporganharvesting.org. There are a lot of uh, places that you can go on the internet to get this information to get the statistics, to get the actual facts, read the reports, read the phone transcripts from the investigators, educate yourself, and then demand mainstream media start carrying this story. So, Curtis, that's all I got. I'm not even going to close the show out with our closing show. Um, I just want people to give some thought to this and maybe even a silent prayer for these men, women, and children that face death every single day simply because they are Fulong Gang, they are Christians, they are Muslims, or they are a political dissident. Human life is so cheap to the Chinese, and maybe yeah. that's why America is so great, because we do, uh, we do respect life, at least most of us, except those who like yeah, it. Yeah, who appreciate it, yeah. Right. So that's all I've got for today. I want to thank everyone that's listening in here on Block Talk Radio, SHR Media, the Lone Star Daily News. Those that are following up on Facebook, I apologize for the interruption of the video. But we will be back here on next Friday. Until then, I say good night and God bless.